1: This is the other side of midnight with Frank Marano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk radio, seventy-seven WABC. Now here's Frank Marano.
2: Tomorrow, everyone. This is the other side of midnight. The start of a brand new week. Thank you for starting your mon- your w- Monday morning with me. Happy to be here. I'm Frank Morano. We have an action-packed show for you today, and we are going to get into all that in a big way. If you are like me, you may have spent a substantial portion of. Obviously, everybody was shoveling on Saturday in our area. But you might have spent a substantial portion of your Sunday watching football. And yet again, there was another great football playoff weekend. And a couple of upsets. I did not see either of those games going the way they did. We'll talk, to you, we'll talk about what happened a little bit later. But I was watching the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Cincinnati Bengals. And my friend Vinny was over and he's watching the game and he's saying, you know, I don't understand in the era that we're living in where the Washington Redskins have become the Washington football team and where the Cleveland Indians become the Cleveland guardians. How is it that not only can the Kansas city chiefs still be the chiefs, but how is it that they're all all those fans are able to go and do that tomahawk chop like crazy? You know the tomahawk chop that I'm talking about, where the uh, audio the people in the crowd end up uh, mimicking a tomahawk with their arm, and then they start uh, doing basically a mock American Indian chant. You know it, you've heard it. Uh, the Seminoles do it. The Atlanta Braves do it. And the Kansas City Chiefs do it. These fans, they do it without any prompting. So I said, you know, I don't, have a good, I don't have a good answer for that. I'm not sure why one American Indian mascot is okay and another is not. Well, believe it or not, this battle over American Indian or Native American mascots is playing out right here in New York State. Let's take a look at Cambridge, New York. So right now in Cambridge, there is a school and their mascot is the Indians. New York Times in a terrific article by Corey Corey Kilgannon over the weekend writes about Corey and Sarah McMillan, whose six-year-old daughter came home from her first day, first grade class one day And mentioned that she and her friend were playing like animals in a game called Savages. Like that. She pointed to the Indian head mascot on her school newsletter. We said this isn't good. And this is a small little town of 2,000 people a few hours north of New York City. So then this couple joined a local campaign. To retire the Cambridge Indians, which for more than half a century has stood as a familiar symbol of school and hometown pride. Now, this campaign grew louder. It sort of got its got its momentum in the midst of the Black Lives Matter protest. And as new questions were being raised about inequality and many schools across the state and the country were removing American Indian-themed nicknames and logos. Again, I mentioned the Washington football team. I mentioned the Cleveland Indians. This battle, this debate, is playing out at high schools all over the country. But what the McMillans and some others had hoped would be a teachable moment in this predominantly white town has been met with relentless backlash. Things are very heated over there. Friendships have been severed. Obscene gestures have been exchanged. Lawn signs emblazoned with the logo, meaning the logo of the Indians, and a slogan, quote, restore the pride, have become ubiquitous. The same message appears on a billboard near this town's elementary school. One opponent of the nickname, meaning he wants to do away with the Cambridge Indians, One opponent of the nickname found a pile of manure left on her lawn. Before we, if you want to comment on this, 800-848-WABC, that's 800-848-9222. Before we get into the pluses or minuses of changing all these American Indian names, logos, mascots, can we agree that this is just beyond the pale? Nobody should be leaving manure Uh, on anybody's door because you disagree with their position on a high school mascot or, in this case, an elementary school mascot. I mean, unless you're making a donation of fertilizer of some sort. So some supporters of keeping the mascot have dismissed concerns as political correctness gone amok, a movement spearheaded by a small group of liberals, many of whom have perhaps not lived in the town long enough to realize that many nearby districts have similarly themed names, including the Mechanicville Red Raiders, the Avril Park Warriors, and the Lake George Warriors. One Cambridge resident and a member of the Onondaga Nation, Dwayne Hunyoust, said he supported the school district's use of the nickname and logo as, wait for it, a tribute to Native people, and a reminder to students of the importance of local Native history. Now, Dwayne Hanyaust was asked about this. He was regarding the anti-mascot movement. He said, quote, once you take references to Native Americans out of the schools, you're starting to erase us. It is interesting to me that in Cambridge... Just like in a lot of communities around the country, the people that are pushing hardest to remove the Indian names, American Indian names, and the American Indian mascots and the American Indian logos happen to be white people. And at least in the case of this one person, a member of Onondaga Nation in Cambridge, the people trying to preserve it in the spirit of preserving the history of American Indians happened to be Natives. What say you? Eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222 Each time the McMillans and others get closer to the retirement of the name, the opposition, a strong, solid majority, complicates their efforts. Back in June... After months of contested school board elections and combative monthly meetings, the school board voted finally to retire the name. Now, you might think case closed. All right, done. But a month later, it voted to reverse the decision. So in response, the McMillans and six other parents petitioned state education officials who oversee individual school districts and boards to intervene. And in November, the state's education commission, commissioner, Betty Rosa ruled in their favor and ordered the district to retire the name and logo, but by July, 2022, or face consequences that could include withholding of state education funding and the removal of school board personnel. Now, I have a major problem with this. Now, I, I, I'm not a political correctness person. I, I, don't, uh, I don't like political correctness. But I, I get how if you're an American Indian, you wouldn't enjoy seeing your culture mocked. You wouldn't enjoy seeing the tomahawk chop or uh, uh, caricatures of your, uh, like Chief Wahoo of the Cleveland Indians, caricatures of your ethnicity displayed on uniforms and as mascots and on logos I'll tell you of being of Italian descent I wouldn't be crazy I wouldn't be crazy about a a baseball or a football team called the New York wops and uh their their logo was a guy that looks like he should be on a a pizza box you know the guy a guy that looks like super Mario or who's on the pizza box who gives the okay sign with a big mustache I wouldn't be crazy about that I wouldn't like that. It's almost as if you're if you're playing you're playing into stereotypes. However, as much as I might not like that, I believe that democracy, and look, public schools are a part of democracy. Democracy should count for something. And communities should do what Cambridge did, have discussions about it. Could those discussions get heated? Absolutely. And then you elect people to make policies for the school district. Cambridge did that. And yet, in spite of the fact that the local democratically elected school officials in Cambridge said, we're going to keep this name that we have kept for 50 years, in spite of the fact that a strong majority of people that live there, including parents, including American Indian activists... In spite of the fact that they want to keep the name, oh, no, in comes the state, bigfooting the local community and saying, tough, change the name or we are going to remove the school board personnel and withhold your state education funding. I don't like that. Uh, I think if a community wants to change their name, that's fine. If an individual school wants to make the, the decision to change the name, go for it. If an individual professional team, like the Washington football team, for instance, I still don't understand how they don't have a name. It's about time. Pick a name. If an individual professional sports team wants to make the change, fine. But to be have the state come in and say, if you don't change the name, we are withholding funding, that's not right. That's not right as far as I'm concerned. 800-848-9222. Miss Rosa said in her ruling that retaining the mascot inhibits, quote, a safe and supportive environment for students. Oh, come on. Give me a break. That's baloney. They've, They've called the team the Indians for 50 years, and all of a sudden this inhibits a safe and supportive environment for students. How about the kids not having kids in school? For a year and a half. Does that do anything to inhibit a safe and supportive environment? How about making these kids wear masks as if they're Darth Vader for five or six hours a day? Does that do anything to inhibit a safe and supportive environment? Give me a break. Give me a break. Uh, She also took exception to the district's use of native stereotypes. From its Lil Indians Elementary School paper and its illustration of the Native American boy in Little Hawatha to the practice of a teacher dressing in a Native American costume to rally Cambridge sports teams. In a statement, school officials said the school board was disappointed with Ms. Rose's decision and that the board would thoroughly and thoughtfully review the decision to best determine how to proceed. The school board is mulling the prospect of keeping the name and logo anyway Spurred on by the many residents who favor defending the nickname. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the onions? Or I'm not sure what the American Indian equivalent of onions is. Might still be onions. Can you imagine the kernels of maize on the part of the school board members here? They're facing removal and defunding. And they're saying we're keeping the name anyway. Potentially. Interesting. Now, some parents have cautioned the board against squandering even even more education funding in what is likely to be an uphill legal ballot to retain the name. The district has already spent about eighty thousand dollars addressing the issue. Now, that's a lot for a community of two thousand people to spend eighty thousand dollars because you want the name Indians. I probably if I were on the school board here, I would say, all right, are we really going to make this our cause? Uh, do we really want to spend $80,000 just so we can still be the Indians? How about we keep our $80,000 and then we, we call ourselves, I don't know, the Native Americans. 800 9222 Now, all of these efforts could be moot because th- this debate is not just playing out in Cambridge, New York, and the surrounding communities. This is playing out all over the state and I, I believe even all over the country. Because, but in New York... Here in New York, the state legislature is expected to vote on a bill this year banning Native American-themed names, logos, and mascots in public schools beginning in fall of 2024. Now, that bill has not stopped the fervor of people who want to keep the name. What say you? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to talk with a fascinating, fascinating uh, gentleman by the name of Lawrence Bartley. He's the founding director, a founder and director of News Inside, which is a print publication of the Marshall Project that's all about giving news to prisoners. And that's his whole thing. And and that's what their group's whole thing is. We're going to talk with him about that. We're very proud to have a big audience in state prison in federal prison, and in city jails right now. Big shout-out to everybody who's listening to me right now who happens to be incarcerated, whether you're free or whether you're incarcerated. I appreciate you listening. And then coming up at 3.30, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this new committee to save TAB. Oh, we're going to get into that in a big way. You want to talk about a cause you can get behind? Forget about taking down these mascots. Let's get behind saving TAB. 800-848-9222. That's 800 800- 848-WABC. Let me begin with Jacqueline in Brooklyn. Hello.
3: Good morning, Frank. Uh, You posed the question, what do we have to say about the state coming in and wanting to uh, withhold funding if they don't change the name of the team? Uh, As far as a team being called the Indians, the Braves, the Chiefs, those are not disparaging at all, in my opinion. And as you said, you know, the Native American people in the area, they didn't have any objection to it. Your example that you gave as far as the New York WAPs, that would be disparaging. WAP is a disparaging term. However, if it were, if the team were called the New York Sicilians or the New York uh, Barres or the New York Neapolitans. Or even just the New York Italians. Yeah, I mean, I'd be proud to have a team with, with that name being of Italian heritage. But this is just another example of the same old, same old... Uh, wokeness and everybody has to walk on eggshells and, you know, la-di-da and, you know, let's live in a utopian society and make everybody happy by not using any of these types of words. It's, it's all lunacy. Uh,
2: thank you, Jacqueline, Eight hundred eight four eight wabc Karen in Rockland County, hello.
4: Hi, Frank, how are you? I am getting so tired of the government getting involved in all these things. Is these citizens of these places you know, what they want to, because I'm getting tired of people giving in to them. So these people belong in mental institutions rather than governing our country, our states, and our cities. And if the state legislators are so interested in that, why don't they get rid of that no bail instead of dealing with this stuff with a changing name? Yeah, wouldn't that
2: be nice, right? You talk about misplaced priorities. We have uh, have, uh, shootings going up. We have every violent crime except murder going up. And uh, that doesn't seem to be much of a priority. I will tell you what this has done. If you want to comment, you can do so. One, two, three, four, five, six open lines. 848 WABC. We have uh, we have Philippe uh, screening your calls today, so you have a better than average chance of having your name correctly typed on the call screen board. So good for you. But um, one of the things this has done, this has caused an explosion of interest. In the school board meetings. Now, these school board meetings are usually pretty obscure and they have been just packed with very vocal attendees. They've had to get larger spaces. They've had to have a local police officer assigned to ensure that there's nothing unruly going on. One recent weeknight this month in a school cafeteria, board members sat on folding chairs emblazoned with the Indians mascot. Many of the 75 people that attended pointedly wore orange t-shirts and other garments adorned with the Indians logo. Most of them were vigorously cheered as they spoke in support of keeping the mascot. An official announced that it would cost over $90,000 in supplies alone to physically change the nickname and the logo on the gym floor sides of the buses on the school buses and the hallway sides. That's another thing that i don't think the proponents of changing have taken into effect is the cost of change 80848wabc ross is in the boogie down bronx hello ross
5: yeah frank i uh, uh, good morning frank i yeah. i um i think the entire world must be laughing at the united states they must think we have completely g- gone into some kind of psychosis as far as the uh, uh, um the uh, logos on products, too, the other day, I was in the supermarket. I noticed the other day that uh, one of my favorite butters, Lando Lakes Butter, they got rid of the native American, and they kept the land again.
2: <laughs> well, you know, the thing with Lando Lakes Butter, Ross, right, is and, – and I'm not all about uh, succumbing to political correctness anyway, but the thing with Lando Lakes – That's a private company, right? And um, if if that was my company, I could call it whatever I want. I could have whatever kind of packaging I want. And if you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. The difference here at what's happening in Cambridge is this is a public school. And the residents, the parents that pay the taxes for this public school whose kids go there, by and large, they want to keep the logo. And unfortunately, even though they voted to do just that... Uh, the state is coming in and saying, oh, yeah, you got to change the logo anyway. Otherwise, we're going to cut funding for education and remove all the members of the school board. And that doesn't seem right to me. If you have a private company and you make a business decision uh, that, for whatever reason that you want to change your logo, that's fine. But for public school yes. parents, voters, and school board members to vote to keep the logo only to have the state of New York step in, to me, that's just absurd.
5: Well, I think it's with everything. Frank. it's it's too much government that has gone into our country now. They're into you know they're they're up our back with with, with everything that we do think and say. You know, it's it's gone too far. But uh, you know, I just wanted to make the joke. Well, really.
2: yeah, well, fair enough, Ross. I appreciate it. We still buy Lando Lakes in our house uh, because I think it is a better quality of butter. I think we do. We have some kind of butter. I don't, I'm not a big butter user, but we had one listener that brought us freshly baked bread. I usually try to stay away from bread because I try to limit my exposure to carbs. And bread is one of those things where, I mean, it's good, but to me it's not great. It's not worth getting fat over. See, there are a lot of foods that are worth getting fat over. Bread is not one. However, we have this listener, Kenneth Cole, who happens to live on my block, brought us some freshly baked uh, cinnamon raisin bread. So recently, I had a couple of slices of that, the toast with a little butter on it, melted on it. It was pretty good. My wife persuaded me. There's no nothing artificial in there, Nothing, n- none of this garbage, none of this preservatives that's in the bread that you buy in the store. So I tried a little butter recently, and I think it was Lando Lakes. Whatever it was, it's, it's yellow. The container is yellow. 800-848-WABC. Mark is in Garden City. Hello. Hi, Frank. Hi. Frank, this...
5: Um... This Cambridge Town, this is in New York, right? Yes. You know, Frank, I just wanted to say that uh, these teams, these high school teams that are named after Native Americans and these sports franchises such as the Washington Redskins and others, it, that was done as an honor. They were honoring those Native Americans. I mean, who in the world would name their billion-dollar football franchise a a uh, after a group of people who they don't respect or who they want to mock, think about that. Well,
2: that's precisely what this one gentleman is saying about, um, uh, you know, who's been in the community. He's a member of the Onondaga Nation. He's saying, "Look, if you if you erase all of the American Indian names and logos, that's going to cause our identity to be uh, identity to be erased." And uh, this fellow, Dwayne Hanyoust, he was wearing his Indians varsity jacket. He stood up at the school board meeting a couple weeks ago, and he drew the distinction between what he saw as Cambridge's respectful use of the nickname and then disrespectful uses of logos like the cartoon-like Chief Wahoo that was once used by the Cleveland baseball team. And I'll be honest, I do see a difference. I do see a difference between Chief Wahoo, uh, who looks like he just finished – Smoking a peace pipe and getting drunk versus the the, this team name simply being called the Indians. This fella, Dwayne Honiaust, said his father led a movement. Again, he is a member, proud member of the Onondaga Nation, led a movement to preserve the Cambridge mascot 20 years ago when a state order urged the schools to retire them. This is going back 20 years. It's not a new debate. Dwayne's son, Dylan won election to the school board last year with the promise to help retain the mascot. This is what he said. This is, uh, the, Dwayne said it, not the son. Quote, I'm an Indian, and I know that Cambridge is respectful toward this imagery. The, he said then, the division in town is hurting our kids. It's hurting our friendships. Now, you can agree with that. You can disagree with it. But this gentleman's son is an an American Indian. He's a native person, an indigenous person. Ran for office for the school board on a platform of preserving the team name. And he won. And this is what the people in this community want. Who the hell is the state of New York to say, screw you, residents of Cambridge. We don't care how you voted. We don't care what you want. You better change this name or else. It's not right. It's not right. 800-848-WABC. Joe is in New Jersey. Hello.
4: Yes, hi. Can you hear me? I can, Joe. Hi, good evening. Uh, And happy new month to you and the ABC family. Well, we're not quite there yet, Joe. We're not quite there yet. (laughs) One more day. I'm losing it. I'm listening to Curtis all weekend, and now I'm here with you. So I went on to Google about the Cambridge, New York thing. And if you Google that, I'm on the third page of it. Here's a fella who, in his yearbook, writes his favorite book as a senior, his favorite book is Mein Kampf. Now they want to take that and make a dig to do about having his thing Mein Kampf. <laughs> I can't believe this. Is that. Is that the most ridiculous in addition to the Indian thing, which I completely disagree with. Well,
2: Joe, I'm not sure I follow. So one of the students' favorite book is Mein Kampf? No. Right, his but his favorite book in his yearbook. And now so the yearbook they're, re- saying, they're saying the they're saying So Joe, they're saying mm-hmm. because his favorite book is Mein Kampf, the the team name should be changed? Not the
4: team name, no. They want to when I read about this, somebody said the other alumni and Oh, boy. Here I go. Here I go. Yeah, Joe, Uh,
2: I I guess I'm not clear. What is the the fact that this kid's favorite book is Mein Kampf have to do with the price of tea in China?
4: Tea in China. Well, if you're going to cancel culture, the Indian name, I just started reading the Third Reich, the rise and fall of Third Reich. I'm getting so much information. I'm not-
2: All right, Joe. I, I can already see that I'm going I'm to get down. I'm going to swirl down a vortex with you, right? So I'm going to – in a best-case scenario, if I continue with that phone call, we're going to get woefully off-topic, right? In a worst-case scenario, I see you poised to say something anti-Semitic or anti-German or something, or at the very least boring everybody to death. But uh, I'm going to spare everybody by hanging up on you. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Jay is in Hunterdon, New Jersey. Hello, Jay.
0: Hey, uh, good good evening, uh, Frank. Uh, first, I'd like to say I think uh, it's a good fortune of Carmine, little Carmine, is giving you these ratings. I'd like to bless you with continued success. Uh,
2: thank you, Jay. I certainly uh, I concur. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. So, what well, uh, he takes
2: away so, in sleep, you know, he gives back in ratings.
0: <laughs> we. Um, we, you know, we, Indians are, uh, you know, offended, I guess, maybe, uh, that 14s uh, teams are named after them. I'm actually born in India, and the term Indian was co-opted from my people uh, to the American Indian nation of Cherokee, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm wondering if I should be uh, offended by that. Ah, yes. And, I,
2: I'm surprised I didn't see you at this school board meeting, actually, Jeff. <laughs> uh,
0: so, so I don't know. The whole thing's confusing. The second point is Cleveland Indians, I give them full permission to convert the Cleveland Indians to refer to my Indian population from India rather than the American Indians, uh, thereby uh, nullifying any request to have their names changed.
2: There you go, Jay. Uh, that's very kind of you, speaking on behalf of all Indian Americans, not American Indians, but Indian Americans. Now again, the there are a lot of sports teams: the Florida State Seminoles, the Kansas City Chiefs. In fact, they did it yesterday, where you see in the stands you see fans acting like this. Now I, I can understand why some American Indians are uh, that feel mocked by that kind of behavior, but I think. What we're talking about here in Cambridge is a significant departure from that. Those of you that are on hold, I'll try and get to you in uh, just a bit. But coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk with Lawrence Bartley. He is the founder and director of News Inside, the print publication of The Marshall Project. He's going to join us next. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: WABC.
2: The side of Midnight, a program very proud to come to you on the radio. Uh, I really consider myself pretty lucky to be a radio broadcaster for many reasons. Not only is this my preferred medium for entertainment and for education, but it's also a medium that is listened to throughout prison. And I'm very proud of the listenership that this station and this show has built up within prison. I'll give you one. Uh, this is an email I got yesterday afternoon. I hope she doesn't mind me uh, mentioning her name. But this is from a listener named Andrea Alessandrini. And she writes Hello, Frank. I'm not sure if my message arrived to you via the link system, but I know you've accepted my request. My name is Alan- Andrea Alessandrini. I am an inmate at MDC Brooklyn Federal Facility. The system doesn't notify you when a message is received. That's why I wasn't sure if you got it or not. We listen to your show every night here, and we really appreciate it. Yes, we do listen to Curtis as well. Well, there's no accounting for taste. I mean, these people are in prison. They don't have that many entertainment options. But in all seriousness, I am very, very pleased that we have developed such a fanatical following of listeners in prison, state prison. Uh, federal prison and, yes, in city jails as well Uh, because we're a show that tries to deal with issues related to not only the criminal justice system but the prison system in a serious way, in a um, intellectually honest way, but at times also in a fun way. And that's why one of my favorite uh, media outlets for a long time since they first started has been The Marshall Project. And I love what they're doing. And I'm very, very pleased uh, to be joined this morning by Lawrence Bartley. He's the founder and director of News Inside, which is the print publication of The Marshall Project. He's also the host and executive producer of Inside Story, which is a new video series which delivers trustworthy reporting and journalism to incarcerated people and, yes, the broader public indeed. Lawrence, thanks so much for joining me on the radio.
6: Uh, Thanks for having me, Frank.
2: So, Lawrence, we do have a lot of listeners listening to us who are incarcerated right now, but we have many more listening who are not incarcerated. Why should the people listening to us right now who are not in prison, not in jail, don't have any friends, don't have any family members who are in prison, why should they give a hoot? Why should any of them care about folks in prison, what goes on in prison. How does that affect them? A lot of them have the attitude, Lawrence, these are people that uh, committed a crime, in some cases did something horrible. Why should we care what they're getting in terms of journalism? Speak to those people, the uncarcerated folks.
6: Well, quite simply, simply because 95% of people who are incarcerated will be released one day. They will be on a line next to... Some of the folks that listen to this show in Walmart, Walgreens, or any department store. And for individuals who are on the inside, sure, many of them committed crimes. Some of them have not. But in, in either case, there are many of those folks who did a 180 from their criminal ways, and they want to change. They want to live normal lives like you and me on the outside. In order for them to do that, the best way is for them to be fed positive and worthwhile information. If they're not, if they're fed angst every day, day in and day out, on top of the fact that they can't get up and go out when they want, they can't call their family members when they want, and they're also, in some cases observably so, you know, suffering because of what they did, thinking about what they did. But if that person isn't fed positive information, then how do we expect that person to come out as a positive individual living within the boundaries of the law?
2: Right. It's it's a great point. So, so almost everybody that's in prison now – will one day be out of prison. And these are folks that can either be productive members of society and interact in a meaningful way with everybody else, or uh, they could be, you know, uh, folks that end up back in prison, and that hurts everybody. It hurts a taxpayer, and it hurts somebody that they might be committing a crime against.
6: Right, Lawrence? Exactly. Everyone suffers. There's, there's no winners there. Uh, when, When people are sentenced to do their crimes, you know, they figure that they're adjudicated by a judge. They did their time. Once they did the time, hopefully it's over. As long as they, like I said before, live within the boundaries of the law to continuously punish them, I don't see how that serves anyone.
2: Now, I want to get into what you're doing now because I think it's really interesting. But just so folks understand your perspective and where you're coming from Give our listeners an idea, Lawrence, of what your own uh, criminal history is and what your own history with the prison system has been.
6: Well, unfortunately, at the age of 17, I was incarcerated myself. I I made a choice that led me to prison. Um, I essentially grew up in prison. I was in a male prison when I was 17 years old. I learned how to shave. I learned how to become a man at the same time where I had to deal with what was right in front of me, which was the unknown and all the horrific details or imaginations that one hears about the prison system. I had to deal with that close and personally for the beginning of my incarceration, which was maybe about, I count the beginning as maybe six or seven years because I ended up doing 27 years and um throughout that time i went from a a gd to a master's degree i won't say it was easy it was very hard studying in prison in fact it was very hard learning to live in prison not only because of what you hear in the news about the violence but uh, because um it's a it's a environment where a person can't you know um grow into his or herself you can't um, use whatever acumen or whatever intellect you have in order to grow a business because that can extend your prison stay. You can't um, be in contact with your children or your family members because it costs too much money for them to receive your phone phone call because they have to pay, pay for it. But I could go on and on. But because of that and and in terms of information, knowing that it was very difficult for me to get information, especially when I was taking my college courses, because I to, had to um, rely on outdated textbooks or a newspaper that a correctional officer threw in the trash in order to read it, to use it for sources for my research papers that I was doing in my college courses. Um, because officers couldn't hand us newspapers because that meant that they were promoting prison contraband because they're not supposed to give us anything, and I couldn't afford a pricey newspaper subscription because it costs a lot to subscribe to the New York Times, the U.S. Today costs a lot when I was making as low as ten cents per hour in my prison job. So knowing all of that, I knew the value of information. I knew the struggles and the frustrations of a hungry mind behind bars, and I started and created News Inside in order to feed those devs hungry minds and without hassle, without frustration.
2: We're talking with Lawrence Bartley. Uh, he writes for and he's the creator of News Inside and Inside Story. You can access both of those by going to the Marshall Project dot org. That's the Marshall Project dot org. Going to talk with Lawrence in a second about uh, some of the stories that he's been covering. Now, Lawrence, we began the conversation by saying that it's important for people who are behind bars to get to be treated adequately, to get things like uh, proper news sources and proper education, because they're going to be out of prison one day. Now, you, as a young man at seventeen, you said you went to prison for for murder. Uh, There's a lot of other people that go to prison for murder and never get out of prison. They spend the rest of their lives in prison. You spent 27 years there. You easily could have ended up spending the rest of your life in prison. Why is it still Uh important for taxpayers to invest in the education of people that are never going to get out in prison. Let's say somebody is a convicted murderer and they end up serving uh, a multiple-life sentence. Why should we care about those people's education and what news sources those folks are getting?
6: Because uh, many people who live in society, even family members of people who live in society, are correctional officers, and they go to work every day, and they want to come home safe to their families, and they deserve that. And if we don't allow people who are living on the inside to have some semblance of of normalcy, some type of life, even if that means that they're never going to get out, then what type of person would we be building that's, that's in an environment where our loved ones have to go every day and come home? Um, just because a person is incarcerated doesn't mean he or she or they have to be at odds with a correctional officer. I know many correctional officers that are good individuals that just want to do their eight hours and go home. And there are many incarcerated people who, who have maybe triple life and they just, hey, they just want to live, they want to live sanely. They don't want to be in solitary confinement. They want to be able to read books or or watch a movie. They want to get out someday, and 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 I hope that people on the outside would would understand that. And another thing I want to bring out is during the the pandemic, which we are in now, um, many people know that it's very tough to social distance in prison. Structurally, prisons and jails aren't built for people to be social distance from one another. So when it when it comes time to disseminate vaccines, many people in prisons and jails didn't trust prison administrators. Now, that's the, uh, uh, no, sorry, didn't trust the medical staff inside of prison. And that's for various reasons. Um, throughout the years, incarcerated people have been experimented on inside of prisons and jails. Just as recent as 2010. Um, in one of the stories you wrote, there was 150 women who were incarcerated became sterilized. And that isn't happening anymore. Um, the justice system um, created laws in order to prevent incarcerated people from being tested. So I, I don't want to give the impression that they're being researched and researched on continuously today. However, that Lack of trust with the medical medical staff still exists. And because of that, people didn't want to take the vaccine. And because they weren't getting adequate news, they didn't understand what the vaccines were, what the efficacy is, and, and, and whether they didn't have enough information to decide whether to take it or not. Well, in in an issue of News Inside, we answered the most frequently asked questions of incarcerated people about the vaccine. And in fact, a woman who was incarcerated in the facility, MDC, I believe that you mentioned earlier, she wrote to us and she, she, she laid out the struggles in getting information on the inside. And she thanked us for handing her a copy of News Inside. She said it passed through the hands of 50 women in her dorm, and it helped them make a wow. decision on whether to get vaccinated wow. or not. You know, it's it's so, so funny
2: be, that the same quest, kind of questions that people have outside of prison about things like public health issues and vaccinations are the same sort of issues that, um, you know, that prisoners have. and But in prison, a lot of times access to that information is not necessarily available instantly by pressing in a few buttons on your smartphone or logging right on to the Internet. So t- tell folks about News Inside. Uh, what are you looking to do with this? What kind of stories are you covering? What's the point? What's it all about?
6: Well, a- as you just alluded to, there's no Internet on the inside. And as I mentioned earlier, people make as little as 10 cents an hour. So they can't afford pricey newspaper subscriptions. Um, also, many prisons are located in rural areas, and because they're in rural areas, they get whatever they can, whatever signal they can get off air. That's what channels they have on TV. Um, many times, incarcerated people don't have cable. They don't. They definitely don't have streaming networks. They don't have cable, so they can't get CNN or or the um, channels that we usually get. And people are cutting cords anyway, so even even ones that do have access to cable, that is dying. Uh, so because of that, you, you know, I develop News Inside and Inside Story, and Inside Story is like a is like a video version of News Inside that takes on one story. And that's designed specifically for people who have literacy issues because they don't have to read the news. But I, I, I created that along with some of my colleagues in order to give people information that that will give them hope, information that is useful. And, and the examples of the kind of stories that we, we put out is, for instance, many people heard that there have been these fire, these these brush fires, these fires that happen, sorry, these wildfires that go across the West Coast. But many people don't know that incarcerated firefighters fight those fires every year. Wow. And, yes, and those incarcerated firefighters can't get jobs or couldn't get jobs at firefighters when they got out. But we published a story about it, and it's a beautiful story with images, and so, so people can get the thrust of what these these incarcerated – it's hard to call people heroes who are incarcerated, but it's a fact that heroes, because they're saving the community and risking their lives, um, we just gave you a glimpse in, into their occupation while they're on the inside. But shortly after we published that story, they changed the rules – Around formerly incarcerated people being able to apply to be firefighters, now some of them can, and it pushed putting that in, in news inside gave individuals hope that they can one day get out and earn a living for their family. So and Lawrence, that's just one example.
2: Lawrence, I, obviously we can all uh, log on to the themarshallproject.org. We can see what you're doing with Inside Story on there. We can see what you're doing with News Inside uh, on there. But how do people that are incarcerated right now that don't necessarily have the uh, opportunity to log on to the Internet, how do they see these video stories that you're doing when, as you point out, because of literacy issues or whatever else, they may be the ones that most need a story told to them visually and audio wise rather than through text? How do people watch what you're doing at Inside Story?
6: Well, they, they get it through their facilities. We, we're we in contract with, with some prison administrators across the country, and then they request it, and we send them DVDs so they can show it to the incarcerated population. The other way is there are these EdTech companies that provide tablets for incarcerated people. It's It's the new wave across the Um, country when it comes to prisons and jails. It's a way to educate people on the inside using technology and just think of them as iPads where they can use it to see recorded lessons. Um, Some of them get emails on it. Some of them are able to send to get video messages from their family members for a fee. But we contract with companies that that encourage incarcerated people to complete academic exercises like watching the inside story and answering questions based upon what they learn. And then they get credits and those credits that they earn can, they can use it to purchase movies, to purchase songs. Right. That's great. And, and to keep in contact with their family members.
2: Lawrence, um, one of the popular misconceptions about inmates has to do with their politics. Uh, I think a lot of people listening just assume that everybody in prison is a uh, dyed-in-the-wool liberal Democrat. And uh, this is so important to keep in mind as we have discussions about either ex-felons voting or felon voting. That's not the case, is it? There are a number of people who are incarcerated right now who might identify as Trump supporters or conservatives. And I know you served uh, prison both at Sing Sing and Attica. Uh, you know, upstate, and you were with people from all different parts of the state, how would you characterize the politics of people in prison?
6: Yeah, it it mirrors the outside. Um, We did a a political survey to kind of assess the political leanings of incarcerated people throughout the country, and we found that, surprisingly, a large number of them were Trump supporters. We did this pre-the 2020 elections, um, the elections the for the 2020 presidency and on. Um, so that was that was like eye-opening for many folks. And so to put it plainly, people usually vote in accordance with whatever district they came from. Their, their politics on the granular issues might be different, but largely if you come from a red county and you're incarcerated, you're voting red. You come from a blue county, majority
2: of them are voting blue. Yeah, very quickly, Lawrence, and I have, I have to have you back because uh, you, there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk to you about. But you did a terrific edition of Inside Story examining the issue of paying for foster care in a nutshell. And I want to encourage everybody to check it out at the themarshallproject.org. In fact, I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan. People can watch it. Just explain to folks what this is and why you chose to uh, focus on the issue of foster care.
6: Well, well, certainly. Um, in a nutshell, let's say, for instance, there's a child who um, father becomes incarcerated, mother passes away, the child is seven years old, the child has some disability issues. The federal government um, uses Social Security money and sends that money to the the child, for the child's care, approximately $700 every month. But state agencies, state foster care agencies, to be exact, have been taking that money to reimburse themselves for the cost of care for the child. Wow. And they have not been notifying the children. There's children who have been in foster care since they were seven years old, and they age out, and they've been, they're 19, 20 years old, and they discovered that money was being given to them without their knowledge. What Some a, of them apply to get the money back, but it's a very difficult what, situation.
2: What a racket. R- Lawrence, thank you so much for the time this morning. I uh, look forward to our next conversation, and I want to encourage everybody to check out uh, what you're doing at Inside Story at themarshallproject.org. You're
6: welcome. Thank you, Frank. Thank,
2: Thank you. you all. Thank you 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. 800-848-WABC. This is the other side of midnight straight ahead.
1: WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC.
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, You ever want to know what uh, music we're playing, uh, what songs we're playing as bumper music, just join our Facebook group. All you have to do is search "Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And uh, I post the songs each and every day in there. By the way, uh, because my sister Claudia and my friend Arthur... Can only listen to 45 minutes or so of the show. We ask you to post whatever you think the best 45 minutes are of any given show. Whatever the 45 minutes are that are must listen, post them in the Facebook group as Chris Palmieri did. We are on Twitter as well, at Frank Morano. You know, it's funny. Yesterday, I read such a fascinating article in BuzzFeed News about Tara Reid, not the Joe Biden accuser, but the actress. And so I tweeted it. And Tara Reid liked the tweet, which I thought was nice. She's a big movie star, all these millions of followers. And then I realized I made a typo, and I had to delete the tweet, so she didn't like it when I reposted it. But you can see it, too, at Frank Morano. Hey, until next hour, in the words of the great uh, Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you have your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
1: This. Is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk radio 77 W A B C. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, you're welcome to comment on anything we are covering at eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc Those of you that are holding, I will get to you. You know, just one quick note on the, um, on the Facebook group. So we have this Facebook group that's all about giving people an opportunity to talk about what's on this show. For instance, uh, any guests we have, any uh, topics that we cover, whether you like it, whether you don 't like it, you know whether you have constructive criticism, not so constructive criticism, the place to do that is in the facebook group so it, it always amazes me what where the conversations go on those in that Facebook group right and on I think it was Friday, somebody was talking about. Uh, something completely unrelated, right, and then one user goes and says uh, well, you know uh, da da completely unrelated to whatever the subject was, and uh oh you know, Rudy Giuliani has proven election fraud, and uh i don 't like that in New York they have rank voting, I think he meant rank choice voting. The people of New York City should have been able to vote on it. Now, of course, I added. uh, And again, a lot of times I don't comment because I like to see where the conversation goes on. It's uh, here. This was it. Right. Okay, I found the comment. So the initial post was shame on the University of Rhode Island for stripping Rudy Giuliani of his honorary degree. I agree. Rudy's legacy as the nation's mayor and his courage in the face of 9-11 and building back New York City overrides his challenging and wanting to get to the truth behind the 2020 presidential election. That was a comment from Nancy Condon. So Michael then writes, if Giuliani was wrong, the truth should bear out and show how wrong his ideas are. What gets my attention is this fact now, all capital letters, exclamation point. You're trying to shut down any exploration into anything that might show wrongdoing. The truth doesn't need to be hidden. Lies seek the shadows. Multi-million dollar investigations funded by the federal government in corporate. then um, he goes on and on and on and about the 2020 election and says, and we should have gotten to vote on rank choice voting. Well, he called it rank voting. Now, I then said we did, and it passed with almost 80% of the vote. And then Michael responds with, well, when was this vote? And I said it was 2019. And uh, then he says, well, I, I didn't know anything about it. And then I, I put a link to my testimony before the Charter Revision Commission in 2019. Now, when I was testifying before the Charter Revision Commission to get this on the ballot, I talked about this nonstop. I posted about it on social media. Uh, The media covered it. I was desperate to get people to show up to these hearings. And look, they did put it on the ballot, and it passed. So I would just say, before you say, oh, they should have put that on the ballot, or they should have done this, before you post something like that, I would just double check. Did they, in fact, put it on the ballot before you say they should have put it on the ballot? It was put on the ballot. And if you go back and watch the video, uh, and this was the first time that I'd watched this video in two years. But I linked to it in my response to this uh, comment from Michael Spinner. If you go back and watch my testimony before the Charter Revision Commission, I think if you look at what I said two years ago, My comments have been borne out. I believe that they should use ranked choice voting not just for the primary and special election in New York, but for the general election as well. I think we'd be better off if you didn't have these two separate systems, one for the primary and one for the general. And I think you'd see different people getting elected if we used ranked choice voting in the general election. But uh, I would just – it just struck me as funny that, one – how conversations so quickly change to different topics on there. And then, two, people are saying, oh, you sh- we should have been able to vote. Well, you did get to vote. You did get to vote. There's an old saying, government belongs to those who show up. So if you, didn't, if you didn't vote and then you're not happy with the outcome, whether it's for a particular candidate or whether it's for a particular issue, you don't have somebody else to blame. You have the person in the mirror to blame. And when New York is debating these things and discussing putting them on the ballot, and when it gets on the ballot, get involved. Get involved. On this show, whether the issue is gerrymandering, ranked choice vote, or on this station as a whole, we have a lot of great journalists who are telling you what's happening in terms of New York issues. Dominic Carter. There's nobody better than Dominic Carter. Listen to the Cats at Night show. Every weeknight at five, they have real newsmakers on that show, telling you exactly what's happening. Uh, other than uh, you know, on this show, sometimes we'll do the same subject for twenty minutes. On that show, you'll get thirty different subjects in the course of an hour. They'll tell you what's happening locally, nationally. It just it 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 it, it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit that people are saying that this should have been put on the ballot. When, of course, it was put on the ballot. And it passed with close to 80% of the vote. And then, of course, people want to complain afterwards. Now, that bothered me a little bit. But let me tell you what bothered me a great deal. And that is an article in the Daily Beast. So I think it was Thursday or Friday. I think it was Thursday. Sergeant Joe Imperatrice was on this show. Now, Sergeant Joe Imperatrice is a great New York City police officer. And he is the head of this group, Blue Lives Matter NYC. Now, this is a group that is wonderful. Their whole mission is providing for the families of fallen police officers. I can't think of a better group than that. Okay? I I mean, the, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation is right up there as well because they not only provide for the families of fallen police officers, they provide for the families of firefighters and for... Uh, fallen servicemen as well, and disabled servicemen. Other than Tunnel to Towers Foundation, I can't think of a more worthy charity than Blue Lives Matter NYC. And that's why I was so sick over the attempts to make Sergeant Joe Imperatrice look bad. Now, January, let's go back in time to last week. Joe was on the uh, Fox News channel. He was uh, on there on Thursday. Thursday. Right. I think it was Thursday. It might have been Wednesday. Yeah. Thursday. Same day he was on with us. Same day he was on with us. He was on with Fox News. And uh, this is what Joe Imperatrice said. Let me play you the audio and then we'll get into where we are. The harsh truth is, we need these lawmakers to be victims. We need them to understand when the worst situation possible hits them. And then they could turn around and say, wow, maybe this is an issue. Maybe I need to wake up tomorrow and do my job and start changing things for the better. That's how it's going to happen. And I'm not <laughs> praying that any of these people get hurt or harmed, but they need to see it right. firsthand how well, bad the streets really are. So the context of that is Cory Bush, who's a, a Democratic congressperson from. New Jersey, uh, Missouri. She's a Democratic congresswoman from Missouri. Her vehicle had been struck by gunfire last weekend in the St. Louis area. Now, she was not in the car. There was no evidence that she was a specific target of the attack. And so listen to what Joe says again. As he reacts to the news that this progressive congresswoman's car was hit with gunfire. Listen to the whole comment, especially the very end. The harsh truth is we need these lawmakers to be victims. We need them to understand when the worst situation possible hits them. And then they could turn around and say, wow, maybe this is an issue. Maybe I need to wake up tomorrow and do my job and start changing things for the better. That's how it's going to happen. And I'm not (coughs) praying that any of these people get hurt or harmed, but they need to see it firsthand how bad the streets really are. Now, did you hear what he said there? He said... I'm not advocating for any of these lawmakers to get hurt or hung. We all know what he means there, right? Oh, you know, if progressive lawmakers start seeing the same sort of crime that the rest of society are seeing, maybe they'll change their tune in terms of what sort of policies they're advocating. That's clear, right? I mean, I mean, you know exactly what he means if he was in front of you there would be no debate or even if he's not in front of you if he's on television or he's on radio you know exactly what he's talking about exactly you you know exactly what he means and yet that has not stopped the daily beast from putting up an misleading and i believe almost criminally inaccurate headline about the com- the comment that I just played for you. I- I'm not going to link to this because I don't want to give any more clicks to this-, this article. But this is what the headline says for the Daily Beast in response to that comment from Sergeant Joe Imperatrice. NYPD cop to Fox News, colon, quotation marks. We need progressive lawmakers to be gun violence victims. That is not what he said. The first part of it may sound sort of like that, but you really have to be really twist his meaning to say that we that's what he's saying. So then Congresswoman Cori Bush, who, again, is the person whose car was struck with gunfire. And you'd think rather than attack somebody like Joe Imperatrice, she would be out trying to find who's shooting at her car. But she called out the network for, quote, advocating for me to face violence. Now, give me a break. Could Joe have worded his remarks differently? Sure. I think still, with him wording these remarks exactly as he did, you know exactly what he meant. Meaning, you know, it's like the old phrase, uh, a, a, li- a conservative is a liberal that's been mugged, Right. I mean, you know exactly what he means. Once people start being victimized by gun violence, they'll advocate for different policies, right? And he then says, we're not advocating for anybody to be shot or hung. And yet that does not stop Congresswoman Cory Bush from playing to the cheap seats, and by trying to go for the lowest common denominator, um, this is crazy. So Joe Perrotti says, "Wow, maybe it's an issue. Maybe I need to wake up and do my job and change things for the better." I'm not praying any of these people get hurt or harmed, but they need to see firsthand how bad the streets really are. Now, Corey Bush takes that interview and tweets, but, question mark, question mark, question mark, Fox News is literally out here advocating for me to face violence. I'm just going to keep working to get justice. Y'all stay mad and be blessed. What a sick, demented person. How, uh, you know, I mean, clearly she knows Joe was not advocating for her to be shot. She uh, she knows Joe was not advocating for her to face violence because he says right there, I'm not advocating for anybody to be the victim of violence. Come on. Now, Corey Bush noted that Jenkins added a but after claiming he does not hope for lawmakers to be hurt. But Fox News is out here advocating for me to face violence. I'm just going to keep working to get justice. Y'all stay mad and be blessed. Now, I don't think anything's going to happen to Joe here. Uh, But if he gets disciplined by the NYPD because this congresswoman who seems more concerned with going after outspoken cops than the people that are shooting at her vehicle, if this congresswoman makes an issue... For a guy who has spent the better part of the last eight years spending all of his time raising money for the victims of, of uh, gun violence, for a guy that has spent all of his time and efforts helping the families of fallen police officers, then that will be a real shame. So I am hoping that this doesn't become a major issue, but uh, shame on Corey Bush here. Corey Bush could have taken the high road. First of all, she didn't have to tweet the interview. But she could have taken the high road and say, you know, I I don't think Sergeant Imperatrice meant anything bad by this. I don't think he meant to say that uh, that politicians should be victims of gun violence. I think, you know, we may disagree on our approach to fighting crime, but we all just want the same thing. We all just want uh, less violence on on the streets of our cities. Wouldn't that have been a classy thing? But Cori Bush showed she was completely devoid of class and completely unable to take the high road. Agree? Disagree? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222-12345. open lines if you want to jump on board. 800-848-WABC. Jay in Cincinnati, Ohio has been waiting very patiently, and uh, we'll give him an opportunity to be heard. Hello, Jay.
1: Hey, Frank, it's good to hear from you. How about Indian Motorcycle? They were out of business for 50 years. They came back, and their models are called Scout and
2: Chief. Oh, we got to get rid of them. Got to get yes. rid of them. Do uh, motorcyclists have tougher skin? <laughs> I think they may be. So needless to say, um, you, you don't think they should be changing the names of uh, the Cambridge Indians.
4: No, I don't. Don't. I think people need a little tougher skin. I want to shout out to Valley Stream and New Hyde Park, where my parents are from.
2: Wonderful, great. Well, I'll give. Uh, I will join you in a shout out to uh, those fine communities. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Wilfred is in Newark, New Jersey. Hello, Wilfred. Hello.
6: Hi. I wanted you, talk. You don't realize when uh, PC being PC correct. Is all trying to destroy America from the inside, just like getting rid of all these things. PC Correct is brought on hate crimes. Hate crimes is is unconstitutional. Now, if you just say something to somebody, just say, hey, you blah, 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 they want to give you a crime, hate crime. You're supposed to be able to say whatever you want, as long as you don't touch them. Well,
2: fair enough, Wilford. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello. Ralph Uh, Ralph has other things to do. Hey, uh, we'll continue with your calls in just a minute. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We have uh, now eight open lines. We'll take your calls in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. If you want to uh, jump on board, you can give us a call or you can email me as well. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. Tomorrow, we will be reading your best and worst email and mail in general. So not only can you email me at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, that's frankm at wabcradio.com, but you can also send me some snail mail at P.O. Box 1777. Uh, at My attention, Frank Morano, P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. And we'll read your best and worst email. And snail mail. It could be funny. It could be critical as long as, it's, as long as it's interesting. That's what we want. We want to avoid, you know, boring stuff. All right. Well, Sergeant Joe Imperatrice appears to be in the crosshairs of Congresswoman Corey Bush. I think this is reprehensible. Tell me what you think. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: WABC. 77 WABC, where the action is. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Marano. Diamonds are
7: forever.
1: They won't leave in the night. I've no fear that they will
6: So your
2: in the sky, you feel the vibe. this is one of my uh, favorite Kanye West songs I must tell you this is uh, quite good that is former presidential candidate and former husband of um, Kim Kardashian Kanye West not at all happy apparently about the relationship she, he's uh, that she is having with Pete Davidson currently hey um, uh, I want to if you want to comment on the the um, Sergeant Joe Imperatrice issue, you're welcome to. I was reluctant to bring this story to your attention because I almost don't want to give it more attention, but I'm so disgusted with it, I I can't get it off my mind. So unfortunately, for better or worse, you are the recipients of whatever happens to be on my mind. So we all saw what happened with that funeral for officer now detective Jason Rivera on Friday. Did you see all the people all that were out in the street? All the police officers that were out there? Thousands. I mean, it was very moving and I'm going to comment on this a little bit later, but if you if you look at the word, first of all, the police commissioner, uh, I watched her speech twice. She was incredible. She did a really just a moving movie tribute. I have no idea what kind of police uh, commissioner she's going to be. But as an orator, uh, she was incredible. Then you look at the words of um, Detective Rivera's widow. Fine. Now, so lo and behold, there is a Brooklyn teacher named Chris Flanagan, who is a New York City teacher. And the day after this funeral, of all days, a day later, on Saturday, he posted a story on Instagram that seemed to encourage violence against police that were mourning Detective Rivera. So he teaches math at the Coney Island Prep in Brooklyn. He posted an overhead shot of thousands of police officers Lining Fifth Avenue for Rivera's funeral. And this is what he captioned the photo. Five thirty twenty. 30 20 NYPD US SUV drives into a crowd of protesters. Ideal conditions for reciprocity. So the incident that Flanagan referenced... Happened in the wake of the George Floyd protest when an NYPD vehicle drove through a group of Brooklyn protesters that were protesting, obviously. Now, the police commissioner at the time, Dermot Shea, said the cops did not use the vehicle in a forceful manner. Former Mayor de Blasio called the footage of the incident troubling, but he also blamed protesters for not moving out of the way. There were no injuries. No injuries. Yet Flanagan is saying this would be a good time for reciprocity. I mean, that is crazy. In this climate, where you have police officers being shot, assaulted, insulted, and disrespected, for you to show a photo of cops that are mourning a dead police officer, and say now's a good time for reciprocity, it's absolutely shameful. Now, for his part, I want to be fair here. Chris Flanagan is saying that this remark that he posted on Facebook, or on Instagram rather, was misconstrued. Misconstrued This is what he said. He, He said he was simply comparing the crowd of demonstrators... ...to the massive police turnout. Quote, I was trying to show the vulnerabilities between all the police gathered that closely together. Nobody should be in that ground the way that they were. I thought that it was too vulnerable and I was trying to draw a parallel between these two things. Come on. Do you believe that? Do you really think that this teacher, who, of course, you're paying his salary, by the way. I'm sure he's appreciative of that. Do you really believe that this teacher was just so concerned for the well-being of these police officers that he felt the need to do a public service announcement looking out for their safety and well-being. Come on. eight hundred eight four eight wabc Let me say hello to Russ in White Plains. Hello.
8: Hey, Frank. Uh Cory Bush thinks that it was police officers that shot at her car, so I'm sure she's not going to be very sympathetic. But Frank, I want to ask you something. Something came up with Curtis and the uh, you know the the progressive Yenta this afternoon. Curtis was asked and didn't know the answer about whether the corrections officer mother of this psychopath was asked by 911 whether there were guns in the house. Curtis said that that was required to be asked by the 911, so he didn't know the answer. And one other thing I wanted to ask you, Frank, because you've got a lot of good sources in the police. The the one cop that shot the uh, the perpetrator, uh, he was only on the force for two years. Why are they sending two rookies and a cop only on there for two years? I thought it used to be they'd send a veteran with a young guy out there, and luckily that, that magazine jammed, and that's why the other cop shot him. So those are the two things. And I think Officer Imperatrice sort of was going, oh, I hope this doesn't happen, but wink, wink, wink. I got that
2: impression. I, I, I don't. I don't, right?
8: I did. I don't. Well,
2: I disagree. Um, but um, as far as your question, I don't know. I don't know how they determine well, which police are sent to uh, to which incidents. And I don't know if uh, that's a standard question that uh, the 911 operator asks if, uh, if there's a gun there. Uh, but, uh, no, I didn't get that impression at all. And maybe because I know, Joe, I'm a little extra sensitive about this because I, he's a pretty gentle guy. Uh, he doesn't, he's not in the habit of advocating for violence against anybody. So no, there was no wink wink at all. As you say there, Ross, 800-848-9222. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al.
9: Good morning, Mr. Serrano. Congratulations. Uh, really, really it uh, paid off those past years. Work came out really good. Curtis is a lot smoother too. I mean, uh, it's excellent. A and B day one to day seven. Uh, as far as uh, those comments, I think uh, terrible, terrible. You know, uh, it's like uh, all these uh, Walgreens and everything, the stores are closing left and right. And then, you know, what the next cry is going to be, where's our stores? How come we don't have any stores? You know what I mean? These poor uh, officers have lost their lives. Uh, did you see the motorcycles that passed by by any chance?
2: Yes. I, no, I saw the whole did, thing. Absolutely.
9: Did you see like, like ordinarily in a uh, in a motorcade, is 20, maybe 30, Did you see how many? It was like 40 minutes left to to watch almost. The total was 342. They came from everywhere. Guess what? We lost more firemen at 9-11. We lost 37 uh, police officers, 23 PA. And guess what? Every day they leave that door, never knowing, like that officer said to his girlfriend, hey, this could be the last time. It literally could be. So they begrudge it, but let me tell you, when the city is falling apart, then they'll be saying, "Hey, my car got broken into. My house got broken into. I was mugged. My grandma was thrown on the ground, 90 years old." That's the problem. So they got to realize it. You, you, this city is being broken, and the only way to rebuild it is with strong law enforcement and support for them. You know. And the only thing I think that was worse was that uh, actress that said, "Oh, these guys are holding up traffic." Can you imagine how outrageous? Just so rude and. Has no manners of any kind, no respect for anything, just yeah, outrageous
2: and and totally insensitive. Thank you, Al. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. The last thing I'll mention out of New York, uh, because this was the le- the last subject that uh, Curtis brought up with me, and people have been text messaging me about it, emailing me about it, calling me about it all weekend. And if you ever want to text message me, you can do so eight one six eight Morano. That's eight one six eight M O R A N O. Or you can email me. Frank M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCradio.com dot com is what these uh, these knuckleheads in the New York state legislature have done. Now, um, eight years ago, New Yorkers voted actually nine years ago, nine years ago, New Yorkers voted to essentially put an end to gerrymandering. So New Yorkers statewide voted to. Change the way that district lines were drawn in the future. They passed a constitutional amendment, which is very difficult to do, very difficult to even get it one on the ballot. But this was a coalition of leaders, and I was a little bit involved with this, of um, leading the charge to end redistricting in New York. It was led by Ed Koch. He was the guy that made this his issue. But it wasn't just Ed Koch. It was Rudy Giuliani. It was the head of Citizen Union at the time, Dick Dady. Didn't turn, things didn't turn out too well for Dick Dady. And it was uh, Henry Stern, the former New York City Parks Commissioner. So you had a Democrat, Ed Koch. You had a Republican, Rudy Giuliani. And you had a liberal, Henry Stern, all pushing to end gerrymandering in this state as we know it. Now, the, the Republicans, which controlled the state Senate... They didn't want to end gerrymandering because the only way they could retain their majority is by drawing these weird districts that made sure that Republicans get elected. But there was a mandate to do just that. So, the, And the Democrats in the state assembly, they didn't have much of an interest in ending gerrymandering either. So the Democrats and the Republicans put on the ballot this very weak anti-gerrymandering amendment. But. In the absence of, you know, the line from American president, in the absence of real leadership, people will follow the closest thing they can find to it. Since there was no real amendment to end gerrymandering, New Yorkers voted for what was their their only option. They voted to establish an independent but bipartisan commission. Not really independent, but it was bipartisan. Equal number of Democratic and Republican appointees to draw the district line and to come up with the lines for state legislature, for Congress, and so forth. And then if the legislature wants to reject the recommendations of that commission, they would need two-thirds of the body to do it. Now, this is the first year that the lines were supposed to be drawn by this bipartisan commission. Now, what happens when you put a group of Republicans and Democrats equal numbers together together? Surprise, surprise, they're not able to come up with consensus. So, this, this bipartisan commission was not able to reach a consensus and they made no recommendations to the state legislature. What does that mean? The state legislature get, then gets to do their gerrymandering best. And even though the Democrats are already an overwhelming majority in both the congressional delegation in New York State and in the state legislative delegation, they have done what they can to make it even worse. And we got our first look at these district lines yesterday, and they are just as bad as you think they are. So, these newly proposed congressional maps that are drawn by the Democrats in the state legislature, boy, they came up with these in a hurry, didn't they? One thinks they might have already had them drawn up in advance. So these newly proposed congressional maps drawn up by the Democrats could cut New York's current Republican delegation to Congress by half, eliminating at least one upstate seat and jeopardizing three others. The new map eliminates the current upstate district held by Congresswoman Claudia Tenney uh, to account for population loss because New York is losing a member of Congress. But. Then it also makes things a lot more different, difficult for the other Republicans in Lee Zeldin's district. Now, Lee Zeldin is leaving to run for governor. uh, That district is going to be much more Democrat right now. That district, the Zeldin district votes for Trump by about four percentage points. Under the new lines, that goes from a district that's Trump plus four to Biden plus 11. So that's one seat that the Democrats are working to gerrymander. Additionally, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, my congresswoman and, and friend, they're going to gerrymander her so that her district moves to include neighborhoods like Sunset Park in Brooklyn, Park Slope in Brooklyn. That district is going to go from a Trump plus eleven district to a Biden plus nine district, and uh, that is going to be very interesting to see. So the and uh, Garbarino's district, which was the old Peter King seat, it looks like that seat will still probably be a uh, Republican district, but they're still waiting to see how the these districts pan out. Elise Stefanik's district should be relatively safe as well. So, you, ha- you look at the John Katko district, um, the Claudia Tenney district, the Leeds Zeldin district, the Nicole Malietakis district, those are all districts, right now those four Republicans representing New York, those could end up being zero Republicans because of these new district lines. Now, What I told Curtis, and you should be listening to Curtis every Sunday night from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., I told Curtis, and this is a little bit of an unorthodox prediction, admittedly, but remember you heard it here first. See, I learned from my friend John Tobacco. If you're going to make predictions, make unorthodox predictions. Make crazy predictions. Always predict the underdog because if you're right, everybody will remember it. This is a little, this is a pro tip for you. And if you're wrong, everyone's going to say, oh, of course. Nobody expected that to happen anyway. Of course he was wrong. So this is my prediction. One of the people that I think is desperately going to look at running at that seat is the former mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio. You have to look at a couple of things. One, Bill de Blasio is desperate to remain in politics. He's desperate to remain relevant. I guarantee you it gnaws at him every day that he's not in public office. Two, he was, I think, a little bitter about the fact that his prospective gubernatorial candidacy didn't go anywhere. Three, this is now going to be his district. He lives in this congressional district. Four, um, He wanted to run for this seat back in 2006 against Vito Facella at the time when the district looked a lot different, not nearly as friendly to a Democrat as it it looks under these district lines. And then the last point that I'll mention if you look at the two candidates that are already in the race, the the two major candidates, there are multiple candidates running, but if you look at the two major candidates that are already in the race, Nicole Maliotakis, the Republican, and Max Rose, the Democrat, de Blasio doesn't care for either of them. You remember, Nicole ran against de Blasio. She was very tough on him in the 2017 campaign. The debates got quite heated. And Max Rose, both when he ran for the first time and when he ran for re-election, he came out with a series of commercials, not necessarily bashing Nicole Maliatakis, but bashing Bill de Blasio. In in the election two years ago, Max Rose ran a commercial that said Bill de Blasio is the worst mayor of all time. That's it. That's the whole ad. Those were Max Rose's words. So now you could have a situation where de Blasio views this as an opportunity to remain in politics in a district that's now a Democratic district and to get back at two people that he's not particularly crazy about. And let's face it. Look de Blasio is not the most employable guy beyond being a political operative or a politician. I'm not sure as if uh, that Bill de Blasio is going to have that many career opportunities in front of him. What can he do? He's not a lawyer. He can't practice law. He's not an accountant. He can't be an accountant. He uh, could lobby. He could be a lobbyist, but he can't lobby city government for, I think, two years. There's a two year ban on former elected officials from lobbying city government. So he could lobby Congress or the state legislature, but I don't think he has necessarily a lot of credibility with those folks either. So to me, this is a very logical move for him. So remember, if they start talking, and I'm not trying to give life to this, although I think in some ways uh, de Blasio being the Democratic nominee might be the best thing for Nicole because he's not terribly popular even in this new newly carved district. But the um, you heard it here first. I think de Blasio is going to look at running for this seat. 800-848-WABC. I will just add, this is not a situation that's unique to New York. We are seeing gerrymandering go on all over the country. We're seeing it in, in the areas where Republicans control the legislature. They're doing the same thing to the Democrats. It's going on in Florida right now. It's going on in North Carolina right now, and it is atrocious. It is absolutely atrocious. And if you haven't done so, I would encourage you to go back and uh, listen to the podcast of the interview that I did with Deb Otis uh, from Fair Vote a few weeks ago. And we talked about a proposal that's in the House of Representatives where you do away with these kind of gerrymandered districts and instead – You have larger districts represented by multiple members of Congress elected through proportional representation. Because right under gerrymandering, the voters don't get to choose their politicians. It's the politicians that get to choose the voters. And that's not right. It's not right. Uh, I hate this gerrymandering process, When the, whether it's Democrats doing it, as is the case in New York, or whether it's Republicans doing it, as is the case in places like Florida, Texas, North Carolina, because it's uh, the voters who suffer. Uh, I would love to do away with this whole process. There are some states that have, ma- that have done some good things. California, believe it or not, has done some really interesting things in terms of reforming gerrymandering. Uh, Iowa has do has done some great things in in terms of reforming gerrymandering. But if you want to comment, you're welcome to do so, 800-848-9222. That's 848-9222. Uh, and there are other states as well, but what we're doing, this is, it's not good, not good. Let me say hello to Pamela in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela.
10: Uh yeah. Um David Wolstein of New Jersey Globe has really been vocal about the shenanigans going on in New Jersey with the gerrymandering. It's oh, yeah. really pathetic.
2: Oh yeah. No, they're doing the same thing there. Um they're taking the first of all, that Chris Smith uh seat uh, is uh, ripe for a New Jersey gerrymander and uh I don't know that they can they can gerrymander the Jeff Van Drew seat uh too much, but I, I think they're certainly gonna try. And the way they decided the debate, they took a, a retired judge,
10: who was really not with it, let's say, and he just like uh, said, "Well, you know what? We did it this way last year. Let's flip a coin and do it this way this year." And and it's it's really pathetic the way it was done. It, it's really sad. And in the, and and it, it it's in this case it's favoring the Democrats. Of course, because they
2: control the state legislature. So, yeah, right. I mean, they're going to make sure that uh, whether it's for the state legislative seats, and maybe I'll invite David Wildstein on uh, this week to talk about it. But um, yeah,
10: yeah, because he he really wanted to like he has a lot to say about it, and oh, the I know. show you know yeah. uh, no. about and and he's really good at the way he describes it. He's very
2: fair. Uh, I uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I like David Wildstein a lot. I didn't get to listen to the show Saturday because I was out uh, shoveling snow, but he does a great job. That's the uh, New Jersey Globe Power Hour, and uh, he does a wonderful job. Very, very bright guy, uh, and uh, we he's been a guest on the show before, and I, I i think he's probably due to come back uh, for a return engagement. 800-848-9222. Again, there are some states that do this very well. Uh, I think Iowa is probably the model. Uh, when people talk about ways to reform gerrymandering, they call it the Iowa model for redistricting because the districts have a shape. Um, it, it's They have a nonpartisan staff, draw the lines. You don't see any of these lobster claws or anything like that. And you know why it's called gerrymandering? You probably do, but in case you don't, uh, it's named for Elbridge Jerry, and it's kind of unfairly attributed to him uh, because Elbridge Jerry was not necessarily an opponent, uh, a proponent of gerrymandering. But they put a, they, a drawing of a district in a local political cartoon, and it looked like an animal. And they said instead of it being a salamander, it was a gerrymander. So that's why it's called gerrymandering, and the name has stuck. But what Iowa does is they have uh, a nonpartisan staff, really nonpartisan, really genuinely nonpartisan, draw the lines with a nonpartisan approach. And the districts have to have a shape. They don't take the the, home address of the incumbent into account. And there's a prohibition on the use of political data. You can't say, oh, well, there's a whole bunch of Republicans here. Let's make this a safe Republican seat. There's a whole bunch of Democrats here. Let's make it a safe Democrat seat. They just draw the lines based on population. Imagine that. But uh, beyond – if we're not going to have the Iowa system, I would love something like the Fair Representation Act, as uh, we spoke with De- Deb Otis about a couple of weeks ago. Hey, whatever your opinion is on gerrymandering, there's not much debate about what's happening with inflation right now, is there? Inflation is just out of control. I was talking all about this with uh, John Katsimatidis Sunday morning on the uh, the Round Roundtable. If you didn't get to listen to that show – you can listen to the podcast at uh, catsroundtable.com or at wabcradio.com. I'm on the first half hour of that show, uh 8 to 8:30. It's a great show. We have a good time. And uh we we you know, we cover a fair amount of news. But if you are looking at what's happening with Jerry, with inflation right now, you have got to be just shaking your head. Last year, for instance, your dollar lost a ton of value. Inflation rose by Just by in just a month, almost 7%. That means in 30 days, your dollar became worth 93 cents. This year, the stock market has been a roller coaster, it's been plummeting, and your portfolio is in trouble, especially if you're close to retirement. Inflation is not slowing down, it is escalating quickly. Gold can provide a hedge against inflation and can protect your family's wealth. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that you should trust for investing in gold and silver. Take this seriously. Oil prices are rising. We have all sorts of supply chain issues. And all of this leads to more inflation. Now, you can trust Legacy Precious Metals because they give you unbiased information based on your individual situation. It's time to be proactive before you regret it and take steps now to protect yourself. Call Legacy Precious Metals. They can advise you on all of your options, whether that's rolling your existing retirement account into a gold IRA or whether that's holding physical metals directly in your home. If it's the latter, they'll give you all sorts of advice on storage and stuff like that. Speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866. 866- Nine three two zero six three five. That's 866 932 Or download their free investor's guide at legacypminvestments.com. That's legacypminvestments.com. Your calls next, seven open lines, 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC. Mama's cooking bread. She wore dirty, raggedy scarf
11: around her head. Always had her stockings low, low to her feet. She just didn't know. She wore sloppy drinks. Oh, Diana
2: no. Ross. And the Supremes, Diana Ross, still hoping for that Supreme Court nomination. She is a black woman. She does fit the criteria. Uh, so I did something that I had not done in a while on Saturday because of the snow. I was stuck home, my wife and I, with uh, young Carmine. We, uh, we saw a motion picture. We saw a film on Saturday. And uh, Rachel was in the mood for a comedy. And the comedy that we selected was a film pretty new it's from last year called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Have you heard about this? I had not, but my wife had heard about it, and she had wanted to see it. It stars uh, Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo, who both were in Bridesmaids, which was very funny. And uh, it's produced by Kristen Wiig and uh, Will Ferrell. I have to tell you, this is... One of the stupidest movies I have ever seen in, in my entire life. It's not bad, but it is just so silly. I mean, you know whether or not you like these movies or not. I, my wife loves them. I like them. Uh, but if you're looking for, you know, 90 minutes to two hours to let your brain relax and not have to think about anything, you might want to check this out. I It was cute. Um, I, You know, I like... um. Satire, I like. Uh, I like lighthearted fare, but you know there are there's lighthearted movies like uh, Spaceballs, for instance, or any Mel Brooks film, or a lot of Woody Allen films, where you literally are laughing out loud. I did not find myself laughing out loud. I, I giggled a couple of times, but I didn't really. I didn't find the film laugh out loud funny. Uh, my wife laughed a couple of times. It's um, it's pretty good. I, I think you know. Again, it's not exactly. Masterpiece Theater, but it's not trying for Masterpiece Theater. So if you're a fan of Kristen Wiig, if you're a fan of Will Ferrell's comedy, even though he's not in the film itself, you might like it. Um, it's cute. So if you want to give your brain a rest for two hours for the next snowstorm, uh, you can absolutely check this out. Uh, it's called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. I'm not going to overexplain the plot because, to be honest, it's not much of a plot, uh, but it, uh, it's, it's, it's fine for what it is. It, the plot follows two middle-aged women from Nebraska who travel to Florida on vacation only to become caught up in a villain's plot. It is what it is. So you can check it out if you want. It's available. I think we saw it on – so, I, you know, I don't know what platform things are always on, are on now because my remote control, it's uh, one of those things where you just speak into it, whatever you want to watch, and then it – pops up whatever whatever platform it's on, especially these days because things are on 900 different platforms. So Curtis Lewa, as he does uh, each and every weekend that he hosts the overnight show, spent almost the entirety of both days of his show talking about me and complaining about me, which is fine. I'm grateful to have the publicity. He did not have Philippe as his uh, call screener, one, to keep him honest, and two – to pull some of the audio of him talking about. However, we were able to dig deep and get this piece of audio from the Curtis Lewa edition of the Overnight Program.
11: Uh, let's go to uh, Frank. Oh, gee, I wonder if this is Frank uh, from Staten Island. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frank.
5: Yeah, hi, Curtis. This is Frank uh, from Staten Island. I'm I'm visually impaired. And I, uh, I made a donation four months ago to Catholic Charities, that Frank Marino had on his show, Vincent.
9: And I'm waiting four months for a hat. And I spoke to all the producers. Now now he comes out with the, he has a new guy handling this, Jake. And I spoke to
6: all of these people and I'm still waiting four months. I just want to let you know. Well, you know well, saying, Frank, well,
11: Catholic charities. My God. Uh, yes, what, Vincent, what, what, what a disgrace out of any I know. I know. I know. Frank, Frank, Frank. Uh, I'm going to impale myself with a crucifix here, Frank. You know, yeah, Frank? I know,
12: you know, I, I made my donation,
1: you
11: know. Uh, uh, let, me, let me tell you something, Frank. I'm going to straighten this one out because this, this involves the Catholic Church. Uh, I got to do an intervention. Is that okay, Frank? Yes, I would appreciate that. And all all you care, you don't want an apology. You don't want him to uh, do Stations of the Cross. You don't want him to have to light candles every Friday at Mount St. Laredo, the the, uh, church featured in The Godfather. You just want your freaking hat, right, Frank?
4: Yeah, I gave him a $100 check. And it didn't
11: didn't bounce either, right?
4: No, no, no. Captain Charlie's got the check.
11: Oh, yeah, you know they ran to the bank. (laughs) They ran yeah, that I to know. the back.
6: And I, and, I, and I spoke to Frank Marino, and he says, yeah, yeah, yeah it's on the way, and uh, I'll talk to Jake. He's handling the production
11: of it and all that nonsense. Jake, uh, yeah, that, that that Marino guy, I'm telling you. That's, <laughs> what a piece of I work. Know. He gave you the rope of dope
2: Now, uh, there were apparently a number of other people that called Curtis over the weekend to complain about the, the hat issue. One, I think Frank emailed me on uh Friday and I think we got him straightened out. I think his he should have his hat in in the next day or two. But let let me explain something. If you did not get your the other side of midnight baseball cap, if you if you won one, either as a consolation prize or as a best question on the uh, ask Frank anything or whatever else, calling Curtis does less than nothing, right? Curtis will, do, will not do anything except use it as a, a, a point of ridicule for me. The best thing that you can do is email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Uh, now, over the last year and a half, in the role that Jake the Snake Roberts, who's now our promotions director, I don't know what his title is, but I'm calling him promotions director. He's in, char- he's in charge of hats. That's his role. He's the chief guy in charge of mailing out hats. And he seems to be pretty able to do it. Frank reached out to me on Thursday or Friday. I reached out to Jake right away. The hat is in the mail. But if for whatever reason, through all the staff turnover, because there's like five people that have had Jake's job, email me. If you didn't get it, email me, and I will get you your hat. There's no need to call Curtis. It, it does nothing. It gives him this moral high ground that he doesn't deserve. There are still people waiting for Curtis to call them back from the mayoral campaign that he hasn't called back yet. So email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. If you can't email, call me. Leave me a voice message, 8168-MORANO.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. It's Monday morning. What better way to get your week started off on the right foot by giving you some positive news by recogni- recognizing some individuals, some entities, some people, places, and things that have done something that's laudatory? Because if they have, this is where they get recognized. That's right. It is time for
1: The Other Side of Midnight presents...
2: Ah, yes, I must begin with a commendation for Exhale Spa and Bathhouse at the Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. It has been named as the number one New Jersey casino spa by Spas of America. And as an added bonus, Exhale Spa has been lauded As the number two spa in all of New Jersey, as well as the number 34 best spa in all of North America. Now, that's pretty impressive. So, uh, you know, look, spas are a big part of the Atlantic City experience. And if you want to know, at least according to Spas of America, what the best one is in in, in Atlantic City and the second best one is in New Jersey. Check out Exhale Spa at the Ocean Casino Resort. Again, they're not an advertiser; they're not, uh, they're not, they don't comp me for anything. But that is a pretty impressive achievement, and whoever finished first is somebody that I would have recognized. I also want to recognize someone who has led an incredible career as a broadcaster and as as the face of the New York State Lottery. That's right. After thirty two years. New Yorkers are saying goodbye to Yolanda Vega. That's right. Yolanda Vega, the distinctive voice and the distinctive face of the New York Lottery's on-air drawings for over three decades, is calling it quits. The Lottery announced her retirement last week on Twitter. She is a terrific broadcaster. She's someone who... When you hear her voice, you almost immediately recognize it. And uh, she's somebody that um, really has, she's always got a smile on her face. And I would too. If, If I had presented billions of dollars in winnings over the years, I would be pretty happy too. She gets to spend moments with people, with families at their happiest and always seems to bring them good news, especially if they've got the winning numbers. So it was the way that she pronounced her name that sort of catapulted her into international notoriety. But she's really a New York institution, and it's difficult to imagine the New York lottery drawings without her. Uh, She's going to be missed, and I think she's done a great job these last 32 years. These are not easy shoes to fill. And I'm wishing her the absolute best. And I'm giving her a commendation on an incredible career. You know, there is speculation. You know that promo that we play for Rudy Giuliani? And there's a woman in that promo that says, The mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. Some people believe that's Yolanda Vega. Other people believe it's Oprah Winfrey. I don't know that we'll ever know for sure. But um, I don't know if it is Yolanda Vega, if we have to retire that promo and get a new promo made. I'll, I'll have our legal department look into that. Hey, I want to give a commendation to Denmark. Denmark, I love the Danes. You know, I've never been to Denmark, but I think I would like to go. I um, I have been known to have coffee and a Danish from time to time, but I love Danish cinema. You know, whenever I'm watching all the Academy Award-nominated films, it's always the the entry from Denmark that I find that I like the best. I don't know what it is, but I like Danish History. I like Danish culture. I like Danish cinema. And now I like what Denmark is doing on COVID policy. Denmark is lifting nearly all the COVID restrictions within the next few days. And they've actually already done this, mostly. As of tomorrow, they are going to return to normal life. They are returning to, quote, life as we knew it before corona, after... The vaccine program proved a super weapon. They're removing all the COVID restrictions. The Danish prime minister said the country's high vaccination rate was the reason behind this, along with the milder Omicron variant. Doesn't this sound great? Wouldn't it be great if we did this in New York? No more masks. No more vaccine passports. No more... uh, One visitor at a time after you have a baby in the hospital. Wouldn't it be great just to get back to normal life? I'm ready. So is Denmark. And uh, this hopefully will set a precedent for other European countries to follow. Uh, Good for you, Denmark. I am quite proud of you. I have to give a commendation to... Oh, that article didn't get printed. Okay, um... I have to give a commendation to Brandon Dahl. Brandon Dahl is a really impressive young man. Hey, speaking of COVID, Brandon Dahl is a two-year-old boy, and his parents both have COVID. And because they had COVID, they could not smell the smoke when their house was on fire in Texas. But their two-year-old son, who really doesn't have much speech skills. He alerted his parents after the fire broke out. He woke up his mother and he said two words that he understood and knew. He tapped his mother on her feet in bed and he was coughing. And he said, Mama... Hot. The mother turns around, she looks, and she sees flames in the doorway. She had no sense of smell because of COVID. This two-year-old boy, Brandon Dahl, saved his family because he could smell, and they couldn't, and his parents couldn't. So this kid is a real hero, uh, and he's... I mean, to be two years old and already be getting a commendation, that's pretty rare. That's pretty rare. It's uh, it's a very impressive thing. Uh, So I want to give a commendation to Brandon Dahl. I also want to give a commendation to the winners of this year's Royal Rumble. I didn't realize the Royal Rumble was on Saturday this year. Uh, I had thought it was – usually it's on Sunday, but I guess maybe they didn't want to go up against the football playoffs. But I would have tried to watch this had I known that it was uh, on Saturday. The Royal Rumble is a great event. If you're not familiar with it, basically it's 30 wrestlers in uh, sort of a a battle royal. Uh, Although if you're not familiar with the Royal Rumble, chances are you're not familiar with the battle royal. But you basically, people come in, they draw numbers 1 through 30, they come in at different times, And you have to throw the other wrestlers over the top rope. And once they're thrown over the top rope, they're eliminated. So uh, the winners of this year's Royal Rumble, the WWE Royal Rumble, for the men, it was Brock Lesnar. And for the women, it was Ronda Rousey, both of whom uh, happened to be former MMA fighters. So it was a good year for former MMA fighters at this year's Royal Rumble. I want to give a commendation to the two teams that are going to the Super Bowl this year. The Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. I did not support either of these two teams, but I'm happy for the fans of this uh, both of these franchises. And this particular Super Bowl, which will be two weeks from yesterday, will feature technically the worst matchup in history. These are the two lowest-seeded teams ever to make it to the Super Bowl. I think that's great because a lot of times uh, as a sports fan, you kind of get the feeling that, oh, it's always the same teams that end up in the, the championship, the big game, whatever the sport is. This goes to show anybody can make it. You catch You catch some momentum, and you can actually make it to the Super Bowl. The Rams entered the postseason as a number 4 seed, and you had uh, the Bengals. They haven't even been to a Super Bowl in over 30 years. So this is pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. I think it's going to be a great game. We'll, We'll talk about it as we get closer. But whoever wins the Super Bowl, just to win the NFC Championship and to win the AFC Championship, it's really pretty impressive. It's really very, very difficult. And to outlast all those great football teams is something that uh, I really admire. and takes a lot of athleticism and a lot of heart. Hey, I want to give accommodation to Dr. Mehmet Oz. You probably have heard that Dr. Oz is running for U.S. Senate in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But he was at a Pennsylvania Republican event and... A guy that's in the audience faints. He goes on unconscious. Dr. Oz rushes to his aid, and he was able to stabilize this fellow until emergency medical personnel arrived on the scene. So the guy, Dr. Oz, was slated to deliver a speech uh, at the Republican caucus meeting on Saturday when this fellow, this committee member, called for a doctor, and apparently had a seizure and lost consciousness. Dr. Oz doesn't miss a beat, jumps right into action. And he said when he was asked about it, I'm a doctor, it's my calling, I'll always be a doctor, and whether I go into politics or any other profession, I'll always be a physician. That's great. I was happy to see that, and uh, I was glad this fella seems to be okay. He was stabilized. He did have to go to the hospital but he was stabilized, and uh, apparently he's going to be just fine. I have to give a commendation to Dominique Rivera. Uh, I, Dominique Rivera is an incredible woman. She is a tower of strength. And I'm giving her a commendation for not only demonstrating a great deal of strength as she deals with the very public loss of her husband— Detective Jason Rivera. I've thankfully never lost a spouse, but I know many people that have, and you know how difficult that is. And that's if you have to deal with it in private. Imagine dealing with the loss of a loved one like this publicly and having to mourn publicly and having the whole world monitor your tears. So she gave an incredibly moving eulogy for her husband, fallen NYPD detective Jason Rivera. And so I'm giving her a commendation, not only for her strength, not only for giving a speech, which was incredibly emotional, but I have to give her a commendation for the manner in which she tastefully called out the Manhattan district attorney, Alvin Bragg. Now, she could have taken the low road, right? She could have uh, said, oh, you know, and there's real bums like Alvin Bragg, and that's why my husband's no longer here. She did. She, you knew what she meant, and she clearly made a statement with her remarks, but she didn't feel the need to bang you over the head with it like she's giving a political stump speech. I, I really I thought she was incredibly poised, incredibly emotional, incredibly moving. And I, I thought that she handled the whole Alvin Bragg issue very tastefully. And uh, I'm, hap- I'm sorry that she lost her husband, but I'm happy to give her a commendation. I also must give a commendation to the men and women, but mostly men, of the New York City Department of Sanitation. I think they did a great job with this storm. If you're listening around the country, we are still digging out from Winter Storm Keenan. And I found that the um, sanitation people did great work in terms of getting the main roads plowed right away, in terms of getting those salt spreaders out, in terms of uh, really being responsive, and at the same time, keeping New Yorkers informed about what was happening. Kudos to you, Department of Sanitation workers. They are New York's strongest for a reason. And finally... I have to give a commendation to a very, very special group of people. A group of people that I really admire and I am hoping to join the ranks of. I have told you before about my affinity for the diet soda tab. I was heartbroken when Coca-Cola announced that they were discontinuing it. I have one case left and I've been parceling it out. I drink One can every quarter. And now a brave group of people led by Trish Priest has formed the Save Tab Soda Committee. And they have launched an online petition to Save Tab, the decades-old diet drink that was killed off by its parent company, Coca-Cola, last year, These people are doing great work, and I am thrilled to commend them. And I am going to do whatever I can to help their efforts because while Tab might not be the healthiest drink in the world for you, it certainly is delicious, and it's a nice, refreshing treat for people that want to enjoy a low-calorie Diet Cola from time to time. And the fact that Coca-Cola thinks that you shouldn't have that option to drink it is to me an abomination, and I am thankful for the Save Tab Soda Committee. So thankful, in fact, that I have invited Trish Priest from the Save Tab Soda Committee to join me next. So stay tuned. Uh, we're going to talk with Trish about why she is so involved in the committee to Save Tab Soda and how you can join her efforts, and I'm going to say our efforts because I'm, I'm on board with this 100%. How you can join our efforts to get Coca-Cola to reconsider and bring back TAB. Stay tuned. Uh, Trish Priest of the Save TAB Soda Committee. Straight ahead.
1: WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Marano. (laughs) When I wake up in the morning, love. The
2: This is before. The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, one of the first major crises that we covered on this show was when uh, Coca-Cola decided to kill, in response to the pandemic, a very refreshing uh, soft drink that has been around for literally decades. Uh, It's called Tab. If you're not familiar with Tab, uh, Tab was around for 57 years. It was the original diet cola. And Coca-Cola decided? Tough. You got Diet Coke, you got Coke Zero, you don't need Tab. And I was incredibly upset about this. And again, I'm not a big soda drinker, but I always took solace in the fact that Tab was there. It was good old, reliable Tab. It was consistent. It tasted the same to me as when I tried it 25 years ago. And to think that Coca-Cola would just yank this option from the mouths of soda drinkers without a vote, without an opportunity to allow us to brace ourselves, to me it was pretty jarring. But whenever a corporate entity along the lines of a Coca-Cola does something like this, what do you do? You shrug your shoulders. You complain You complain to your friends, your neighbors, your family. In my case, I complain openly on the radio. What can you do? Not much. One group of people, one brave group of industrious men and women and non-binary people have taken it upon themselves to do something about this, and they are trying to save tab. I am very, very pleased to be joined by one of the founding members of the Save Tab Soda Committee, Trish Priest. Trish, thank you so much for joining me on the radio, and thank you for your efforts.
7: And thank you for having me, Frank.
2: So, Trish, um, of all the causes that you could get behind, why why saving tab? Why why do you care about this?
7: Uh, tab has been part of my life since I can remember. It is the only soda that I have ever drunk um, throughout my life, I've been drinking at least three tabs a day forever. Wow. Um, so when I've been living in fear of the day that they discontinued it, um, and that day came and I couldn't just take that sitting down. I had to do something.
2: So I want to mention the website. It's savetabsoda.com. That's save Uh, Before we get into the discontinuation and how you've been dealing with it, give people who might not be familiar with TAB an idea of its history and a little bit of an idea of what makes TAB so unique and so special.
7: Okay. Uh, Well, TAB, as you said, was started in 1963. Um, It was originally marketed um, to keep TABs on your weight for weight-conscious people um it was the first uh it predated diet coke it was the first made by um one of the first uh, uh artificial sweetener sodas um that was made by coca-cola along with fresca um and then uh in the 80s uh it came, uh, t- diet coke came along um, and so they stopped advertising tab but it didn't go away. It's iconic if you look in TV shows or movies that want to set themselves in the seventies or the eighties, they always have a tab can. Um, So it's become incredibly iconic as a a drink of that period, but it's always continued to be around. Um, It's, uh, it's cola based, but it's also saccharin based. That's one of the things that the key things that differentiates it from other sodas, um, other diet cola sodas. Um, Most of them are based in aspartame or something else, but this is saccharin-based. And that particular sweetener helps give it the unique flavor of Tab. There isn't any other soda that's saccharin-based.
2: So I'm so glad that you clarified one of the popular misconceptions about Tab's name. You said it was Name that so that people could make, uh, could keep tab uh, tabs on their weight. One of the one of the persistent rumors that has followed Tab is that it was due to uh, it, an acronym for totally artificial beverage. That's not the case,
7: right? I am not a representative for Coca Cola, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I can't say for sure.
2: Okay, now you did mention. Um, that it is saccharin based, which does give it a different taste than diet Coke or Coke Zero or any of these other diet colas, diet Pepsi, for instance. I know where Board Up uh, Matt Blaze is a very big diet Pepsi person. Um, uh, that uh, uh, saccharin has been, gotten sort of. Um, a bad reputation as far as artificial sweeteners go. Years ago, they found that uh, it caused cancer in rats. There are going to be some people that say, "Well, should you guys really be trying to fight this hard to save a beverage that has a uh, an artificial sweetener that's harmful?" What do you say to those folks that uh, that say saccharin's not good for people and we shouldn't be trying to save a drink that has saccharin in it?
7: Well, that actually has been refuted. Um, they went back and took saccharin off of the uh, carcinogen list in 2000. Um, so that, that study was uh, refuted.
2: Wonderful, wonderful. So um, and as far as the taste goes, how would you compare it to uh, the other diet colas like Coke Zero or Diet Coke?
7: Well, clearly I prefer it. Um, actually, the, the company I work for provides soda for free. Um, all of the other types of diet sodas, and I still bring in Tab. Um, because it's the, the saccharin flavoring gives it such a unique, um, flavor. Uh, it's a little bit lemony. Um, it's, it's very refreshing compared to the others. The others, um, seem more, they taste more like the can.
2: I agree with you completely. Now, you alluded to the fact that uh, that Coca-Cola had decided, even while they were still manufacturing Tab and people could still purchase it, that they had decided to stop advertising Tab and put all their sort of marshal their Diet Cola marketing resources behind uh, Diet Coke. W- why did they do that? W- why did they sort of abandon tab and stop promoting it
7: again I, I don't really work for coca-cola um but they yeah, did i'm sorry have to their throw you unfair thing.
2: questions like that but
7: um, they do have their new thing their new diet coke and they wanted to get things i i would assume behind that brand um so they sure. could only Spend their marketing budget so many different ways,
2: yeah, no, and I remember maybe about fifteen or sixteen years ago there was it seemed like Tab was making a little bit of a a comeback. They even released these tab energy drinks. Did you ever try that?
7: uh, I tried one
2: not for you, you didn't care for it,
7: no, I like the the same old iconic tab. I didn't need any more caffeine than that. <laughs>
2: fair, fair enough. Now, uh, for folks that uh, do are of a certain age, they may remember iconic Tab commercial jingles like this one. Yeah. Again, uh, keeping in mind, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Trish Priest. She is a founding member of the Save Tab Soda Committee. Uh, I've linked to the website where you could sign the online petition or join the Facebook group or like the group on Facebook on my Facebook page. You can go to Facebook.com slash MoranoFan or you can go directly to SaveTabSoda.com. I, I realize, uh, Trish, that you do, don't work for Coca-Cola not, or any way a representative of Coca-Cola but what was their stated rationale about why they chose to do away with a drink that people have been enjoying for 57 years?
7: Well, they had to make some hard decisions um, about what sodas to keep and which to get rid of. Um, and they ended up discontinuing about 200 different sodas, including Tab. Um They they have limited shelf space um, and they have to they wanted to consolidate um, behind some of their other brands.
2: So um, what are what are you doing? What are you in the Save Tab Soda Committee doing and what are you hoping to do?
7: Well, our number one goal is to bring TAB back to get um, the, the decision makers at Coca Cola to reconsider this particular decision and bring back the iconic soda. Um, in order to do that, we're trying to um, help them understand how unique TAB is and that they may, the, the data that they may have been using. To make this decision may not have had all of the information required because there are a lot of people out there who like tab and can't get a hold can't get it so if they're using all of the um, sales uh, data to make decisions there are a lot of um, tab drinkers who weren't even able to buy tab because it wasn't in their area uh, between that and the lack of marketing, uh, we think that there could be a lot more sales of tab than they're thinking.
2: Uh, selfishly, I-, I am savoring my last few cans of tab. I'm trying to use it only for special occasions What have you done in terms of your tab supply? Do you still have enough tab stockpiled to uh, see you through the next couple of months? Or or do you have a black market tab supplier that's supplying you tab that fell off a truck? What are you doing in terms of your tab consumption? And do you have any tab consumption tips that under the present crisis, those of us that are tab drinkers might be able to utilize?
7: Um, well, personally, I, I still have 23 12 packs left. Um, I've been stockpiling since um, prior to the announcement. I always tried to keep a certain amount in in case something like this happened. Um, since June of 2020, I've had to buy it. Um, basically off of some really nice entrepreneurs who were in areas where they did in fact make tab because it depends on the bottlers. The Mm. bottlers had to, to actually make tab and they made it in Florida for the longest time. Um, So they sold a lot of people sold it on eBay. So that's where I've been getting my supply and I was trying to keep it to around 60, 12 packs while I could get it. And it's now very difficult to, to find for, any reasonable price
2: yeah yeah I, I was looking online today and it, it looks like it's going for the, the lowest price i saw depending on how much you wanted to buy it looks like it's going for about eight dollars a can are those about the prices you're seeing
7: um yes that's about it um around a hundred dollars a 12 pack
2: so uh, again if people want to help they can sign the petition at save Tab. Uh, you know, it's a uh, save tab soda dot com. That's save soda dot com. I know you've gotten a lot of media coverage, especially over the last few days. Uh, Trish, has there been any sort of a response from the Coca-Cola company in reaction to your efforts? Uh,
7: the only response that I've seen was uh, in the article uh, that came out this morning. Um, and they were, they said that they have no plans to, to bring tab back. Um, but we're not giving up.
2: No, we're not. We want everybody to go onto the website and sign this petition because even if people are not tab drinkers themselves, if they sign the petition and if uh, uh, tab is, it goes back onto the shelves, it gives those of us that do want the choice to drink tab that option. And uh, why should any soda drinker be deprived of this, uh, of this particular option, uh, Trish, we have De- seen. Sorry, go ahead.
7: Uh, I was definitely. I mean, in restaurants, you always have a selection between the blue packet, the yellow packet, and the pink packet. And right now, in the in the um, cola diet soda uh, area, you don't have that selection. Also, if you if you drink diet Coke from a fountain, that is saccharin based. So oh. all the people who like the taste of fountain Diet Coke better than canned Diet Coke would probably like Tab.
2: Interesting. I had no idea that that was the case, uh, but that is that is good to know. One of the things that we've seen, Trish, in recent years is a, a comeback for nostalgia. We've seen an incredible uptick in vinyl records. We see people, including a lot of young people, embracing film cameras rather than digital cameras. We've seen uh, a comeback of the manual typewriter uh, for people that don't want to use a word processor or a computer to write out their, uh, their, their typed memos, their manuscripts, and so forth. Do you think that Tab might potentially benefit from the current – even New Coke came back as a result of uh, an episode of Stranger Things. Uh, do you think that Tab might be in a position to benefit from the current wave of nostalgia?
7: That's definitely something that we're we're uh we're hoping for, so uh nostalgia is great um bringing bringing you know the iconic soda back would be wonderful also in um twenty twenty three it will be the 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 sixtieth anniversary of tab mm. uh, which would be a wonderful time to bring it back
2: absolutely that's that's for sure all right a couple of people have uh, comments or questions eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Mike is in Hoboken. Mike, uh, give me your view on this. Yeah, the thing is, I think I remember when we,
4: when we first had gotten married. My wife used to like tab, and we had they made those curvy glasses.
13: It was curved in the middle.
2: That, that's right. In fact, yet, uh, in fact, a, a, a listener sent me a couple of those glasses, and uh, yesterday Sunday, I enjoyed a glass of tab in one of those glasses. They were really great.
7: Yeah, I think the woman walked on the beach with a bathing suit on Kerrs curves. I think that's right. That's right. Do you have those glasses as well, Trish? Actually, Coca Cola sent me those glasses as a consolation prize.
2: Oh well, I mean, at least they gave you something, but it's a poor, poor substitute, I would think, for uh, for bringing back the uh, the, uh, the the soda that we're so fond of. Hey, uh, one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people remember about Tab. Is the reference in Back to the Future in the movie Back to the Future, where Marty McFly, who's from 1985, a time when uh, when Tab was at its uh, apex, he goes back in time to 1955 and tries to order a uh, a Tab, and I found uh, that uh, that has uh, helped a lot of people that might not be familiar with Tab because they stopped advertising it. It's helped them at least be exposed to the idea of Tab. Have you found that?
7: Yes, there actually are quite a few different TV shows and movies where Tab has been featured. So um, anytime that happens, it's it's great for Tab and for our cause.
2: What are some other uh, movies or television programs that have featured Tab? If you, uh, if you know off the top of your head. I'm not trying to... Uh...
7: We have a list on our website. Oh, okay. Go to, uh, Again, we'll go... There's actually uh, um, also a website that, that uh, talks about uh, product placement... Oh, great. Okay.
2: Uh, so uh, people can go to SaveTabSoda.com. There's also a Facebook group. If uh, folks search on Facebook SaveTabSoda, they can join the Facebook group as as I've done. I see that um, on the website there's an option to um, donate funds towards advertising and marketing uh, expenses to get the word out. Now, I realize this is sort of the first full day of media attention, On this front, but uh, how has fundraising been going so far?
7: Well, it's been going uh, fairly well. Uh, We're trying to raise about $5,000 so that we can put up billboards um, in various places in Atlanta, for one thing. Um, We have already done some amount of advertising. We've done several campaigns, uh, mail-in, call-in campaigns, which don't take a lot of money. And we've we've sent Valentines. um, We sent a gift basket gift basket to the CEO of Coca Cola for Valentine's Day. Um, We've done some uh, some Santa videos uh, that we uh, put out onto the internet. Um, So we've done a few things, but we want to get those those billboards. Is there
2: anything else that individual? people or individual soda drinkers can do to help the efforts to bring back tab?
7: Definitely uh, sign the petition um, and just make your voices heard so that Coca-Cola can see that there are actually fans out there. Um, Every time I went to the store to try to buy tab, I know that there were other people trying to buy it as well. It would, it would be sold out. It became the, the, uh, Eighth highest selling soda on Amazon Wow! when that was one of the only ways to, to get it. So there are a lot of tab fans out there that are not, but we can't see them. And Coca-Cola needs to see them.
2: That is uh, so true. The eighth best selling soda on Amazon. A friend of mine, after this announcement was made that they were discontinuing it, sent me a case of this, uh, a 12-pack. And I'll tell you, that was one of the most moving gifts I've ever received, and uh, I think that uh, uh, that's the kind of emotional connection that, that Tab has with people, and if we can save it, that would be great. Well, Trish, I think what you're doing is terrific. Whatever I can do to help your efforts, either you know publicly or privately, please uh, stay in touch with me and let me know whatever I can do. I am uh, as committed as can be to the cause of saving Tab, and I'm grateful for what you and the efforts of the Save Tab Soda Committee are doing.
7: Well, thank you very much Frank. Thank you for your support and thank you for having me on.
2: Wonderful. And uh if your next project is to bring back laserdisc or save laserdisc, I'm with you on that one as well. Okay. All right. Trish Priest of uh, the Save Tab Soda Committee. You can go to the website savetabsoda.com or just search on Facebook Save Tab Soda. Uh, They're doing some great work, and uh, hopefully – think of what – even if you don't care about this, right? And I realize some of you may not. Think of what this will mean if we can, through a grassroots effort, um, put together a groundswell of support, a people-powered campaign to bring back TAB. Think of the message that that will send to the world. It sends the message that regular people do matter. Regular people can make a difference. And yes, you can fight City Hall, even if City Hall is located in Atlanta. Think of what a big victory that'll be. You, a lot of people, you know, look, let's face it. We see what's going on with climate change. Let's be honest. We're sort of out. We, we, we're not going to do anything to stop climate change, right? We see what's happening. We see what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. We're not going to do anything to stop that, right? We see what's happening with gun violence. We see what's happening uh, with respect to the coarsening of civic discourse and the growing polarization within our society. Everywhere you look, there's problems, problems, and problems. This is one thing that we can actually solve. Let's show Coca-Cola that we're not going to take this lying down. Let's save tab. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Patrick is in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Hello, Patrick. Hey, hey.
9: I just wanted to mention about uh, the uh, saccharin being labeled as a carcinogen. What they did was they fed some lab rats like 10,000 times the amount a normal person would ingest. And, you know, you give any kind of chemical to those amounts and, you you know.
2: That's chemical. right. That's right. That's a good point. Uh, uh, and I think that's one of the yeah. reasons that study was, um, you know, that study was rescinded. But they also gave some other lab rats, they had them drink tab instead of water. And you know what? Those lab rats had a lot less cancer than the ones that just drank water. So, <laughs> I mean, you make your own judgments. Jim is in New Hampshire, live free or die. Hello, Jim.
4: Frank, all things must, must pass. The last time I had a tab was in 1979, and it wasn't very good. And it, my great-grandfather drove a Dusenberg. It was a beautiful car, but they went out of business. Well, Let it
2: pass. So it sounds like you're about due for a tab, uh, Jim, if you haven't had one in uh, since 1979. Sounds like you're about due.
1: Has it changed?
2: No, it's exactly it, the same. Does as it, it was taste in better? It doesn't
4: taste very good.
2: Jim, what are you trying to rain on our parade for? I'm trying to build, or at least assist in the building, along with Trish, of a grassroots effort to bring back tab. And here you are saying it doesn't taste very good. You know what? So don't drink it. Send me your tab. I'll drink yours. Get off my phone. 800 wabc Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil.
5: <laughs> Why don't you send him an $8 can of tab, Frank? We should have said you stuff. <laughs>
14: <Huh>.
5: <laughs> that's, that's crazy. The reason, Frank, I'm not an expert, especially on, on food. Although I, I, I eat plenty of food, Frank. But the reason they discontinue in TAMP is because it doesn't make any money for them. If it made money for them, believe me, they would be selling it hand over fist. So uh, th- that's the real reason, Frank. Anyway, what I want to talk about is the court system, Frank. This state, the court system is so backed up to get into court for a case, it's just almost impossible. I have a friend who went to small claims court. There's a year wait to have his case heard. My son's waiting a year and a half to be the fiduciary, which is doing for free uh, for uh, a 93 year old woman. Uh, a year and a half just just to approve him. That's that's how the surrogate court's backed up. Uh, criminal court. All these people with best appearance tickets to the thousands of cases that they've been issuing because they the bail law. They'll never see a judge.
2: Well, Neil, I'm glad you called about this because there's nothing we can do about that. There's nothing we can do about the backlog in court cases. So if people are going to be stuck in court all day long, let's at least give them the option of a nice, refreshing diet soda. In this case, tab. We can't do anything about the backlog in the court system. So let's do something about saving tab. Go to save tab soda dot com. That's save tab soda dot com. 800 848 WABC. That's 800 848 9222. Uh, They're also on Twitter as well. And you can use the hashtag, which is generating a whole lot of buzz um, as well. It's uh, hashtag save tab soda. So uh, look, you know, we're having a little bit of fun. But I mean, I really would send a message that says we can, uh, we're not going to take this lying down if we can organize a grassroots effort to save Tab Soda. Hashtag on Twitter, Save Tab Soda. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on this or anything else we have covered thus far. Coming up in uh, the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to talk a little bit about what the capital of New York should be. We'll get into that uh, let me say hello to Carol in New Jersey. Carol, I'm sure you'll have something insightful to say on this. Oh yes, of course. My
10: mother loved tab. She always used to drink it. You're kidding? I am not kidding. She thought it was fantastic. Wow. Um, I didn't. I didn't drink soda for various reasons because my dentist told me it wasn't good for your teeth, and then when I was in college, they told us not not to soda from the vending machines, you know, the teachers and people that work there. And I, I used to drink a lot of milk, but when I got older, I became somewhat intolerant to it, so I don't drink milk anymore. I well, used to.
2: <laughs> is there is there anything um, that can be done to get you to be a little bit more tolerant of milk? Uh, I could drink um, lactose-free milk. Well, there you go. Lacto- at least you're meeting it. Yeah, at least gonna... you're meeting dairy halfway i mean it would seem it seems a shame to discontinue a whole a whole category of food products just because of your intolerance
10: right no it's just that you know i don't feel as well if i drink milk regular milk uh but if i buy uh lactate i i think that would be okay the only thing is that i don't want to buy a big giant container you know a gallon of it because of your intolerance Right. I'm not going to drink
9: it. <laughs>
2: well, well, Carol, <laughs> I, I appreciate thing. you uh, being so candid about your mother's brave tale of enjoying Tab. And I appreciate you sharing with us your history of, of intolerance. And uh, hopefully, you know, who knows? People grow. People mature. People have different learning experiences throughout their life. And Carol may be intolerant of milk now, but one day she, too, may learn to love it. She may grow to have a tolerance for milk. If that day doesn't come, uh, that's a shame. But look, we are, we've seen victory after victory in the civil rights movement, right? And if uh, we can see all sorts of laws change for the benefit of people that have been historically oppressed, maybe, just maybe, we can solve the intolerance that lies in the heart of Carol. When it comes to milk, this is the other side of midnight. To be continued.
3: Are you going to order something, kid? Uh, yeah. Give me, give me a tab.
1: Tab? I can't give you a tab unless you order something. WABC. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. seventy-seven WABC.
2: That's Robert Homer, the guy who uh, has a problem with love addiction. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. 800-848-9222. Hey, uh, speaking of tab and soda in general, that is one of the many things that you will get a a nickel if you buy in a store in New York and then return to the grocery because they have uh, a deposit. New York is one of the states that has a deposit on carbonated beverages and on water. And in fact, I told you, um, we we had a whole discussion about this a week or two ago, and I mentioned to you a wonderful short film, a documentary called Redemption. you You might remember the discussion that we had on that subject a couple of weeks ago when I said this. There is a wonderful short film. It's maybe about 10 years old now, around there called redemption it's by an old friend of mine i haven't seen him in years but i you know i still call him an old friend john alden who's one of the most talented documentary filmmakers anywhere in america and he's a great guy he did he's done a lot of great things john alden and this short film redemption is a documentary about the people that do this day in and day out. And there's this whole culture, this whole subculture of people that that do this. And some of them make a lot of money. And it's a very interesting group of people that do this. Not everybody's homeless, by the way. We're back in the present day. It's now the year 2022, January 31st. Now, everything that – now, unfortunately – Almost everything that I said there is true, except one major fact that I got wrong. Now, the person that made that documentary is not named John Alden. That person that made that documentary, Redemption, was an old friend of mine, clearly not that good of a friend, John Alpert. John Alpert. John Albert made Redemption. Now, my apologies. So you might be asking, who's John Alden? John Alden is a fellow that I met twice about 20 years ago. And uh, he was a DJ. I I haven't seen him in about 20 years, maybe 21 years. I once videotaped a birthday party for him. Uh, when I was in the event videography business and then I once ran into him on the street and we had a nice conversation and I remember him being a talk radio fan and an interesting guy. He was introduced to me by my friend Vic Christopher and um, John Alden, as Vic pointed out, reminded him a little bit of our mutual friend, Tim Spucci's. And uh, we both thought that John Alden was a cool guy. Clearly, we did because his name stuck with me for 21 years, even though I haven't seen him in. Literally decades, and yet, I still gave him credit for the John Alpert movie, Redemption. Now, the but you know what it was? You know what it is? It's like, do you remember when Howard Dean was running for president, and people frequently referred to him as John Dean, just because you're in the habit of saying John Dean. Andrew Cuomo, when he was governor, in fact, callers still do it. they'll call, the People frequently will call him Mario Cuomo, and... You just, For some reason, in your brain, when you have certain names going that way, I don't know what it's called. There's got to be some name for this phenomenon. When you're trying to remember a name, even though intellectually, I, I know the difference between John Alpert and John Alden. They don't look alike. I know the difference between Andrew Cuomo and Mario Cuomo. I did it recently on the radio. I kept calling Vladimir Posner Gerald Posner, the writer, Gerald Posner, who I've also interviewed on the show. I know Gerald Posner is not Vladimir Posner. I know John Alpert is not John Alden, but for some reason I conflated their two names. So my apologies to both John Alden and John Alpert and for anybody out there that has their names confused with anyone else. I will tell you this. I will never use the name tab to refer to Diet Coke. That's the God's honest truth. 800 9222 Joe is in Ron Konkuma. Hello, Joe.
0: Hey, Frank. How you doing tonight?
2: I am doing just dandy. Thank you. Uh, my mom used to drink tab
5: all the time. You want to know what I, I'm addicted to? Um, it's very hard
2: to find now. Walmart carries it and sometimes stop and Shop. I don't know if you remember RC Cola. Yes. You know, that, that they made. I, I used to like RC, but they came out maybe about 26, 27 years ago. No, more than that. Yeah, about 25, 26 years ago with a special version of RC, which I used to love. It was called Royal Crown Premium Draft Cola. They discontinued it many years ago, that particular version of RC. But I was a big fan of RC back in the day.
5: Oh, I I loved it. Oh, by the way, when I had the issue with the hat, I didn't call any of the other radio broadcasters. That's right. You didn't didn't call call
2: Curtis or Sean Hannity or Mark Simone or Bernie and Sid. You dealt Uh, with me directly,
5: right? My wife went on Instagram, she PMed you, you gave her the email address, and it was taken care of. But I was laughing over the weekend, Frank laughing. Hey,
2: have a good night, Frank. Thank have you, Joe. One. Thank you, Joe. Joe is a great citizen and a great person. I uh, like that Joe a lot. If you want to email me with your complaints, your thoughts, your comments, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's Morano at W A B C radio.com also on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M O R A N O. You know, speaking of Curtis, he's having this party today. It's like a campaign office closing party. And he really didn't invite me to go. Like I was, I'm on a group email with some people from the campaign. See, you got to understand with the Curtis campaign, there's two phases of that campaign. There's the people that did the lion's share of the work at the beginning and then as soon as Curtis got the Republican nomination, all those people went away. And all these opportunists who cashed Curtis's matching funds check, those people stepped in to run the campaign. The, so I'm not sure if I'm going to go because it would involve me coming into Manhattan a lot earlier than I normally would. Although my, you know, my friend Sarah is looking to make plans for tonight. But I, as I told her, I have a screaming two-month-old that currently controls my schedule. So we'll see. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to that Curtis party. Uh, We'll we'll see what happens. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. Good morning, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Moreno. Last thing I'm going to say about Tab, I promise. Last thing. Even if you don't care about any of this, right, but you listen to this show, right, think of what a game changer it would be if this show gets credited as the radio show that saved Tab. How great would that be? You know, if all of a sudden thousands of signatures emerge... After Trish did this radio appearance with me, think of what that means for us. We could be the radio show that saved tab. So even if you don't care about the soda, do it because you want to, you know, you want to save this show. All right. um, I'll tell you what I find incredibly annoying.
14: You know what really grinds my ideas?
2: I'm so over these paywalls. I, I'm just done. I'm done with these paywalls. I just want, look, I, I buy the paper. I want to read the paper in print, but I also need access to these articles online. Now, the nice thing about you know reading articles, about buying the paper, is you get access for free to the digital editions of those uh, outlets. So my mother was kind enough either for my birthday or something one year, she got me a subscription, a weekly subscription to the Daily News, the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. And it's wonderful and very generous. It's one of the nicest gifts I've gotten from anybody. But I want to read the Daily News online also. So I was trying to log on, and I couldn't log on. So she sets up a password to allow me to log on. So now I log on. So I just try to read this article on the Daily News and it says it says that I'm logged in. But then it also says that I've read all of my free articles for the month. Now, if I'm logged in, if I'm logged in, why will it not let me read this article? It is the most irritating thing in the world. Even when you're paying for these for access to these outlets, it's always a big thing. you got to jump through hoops just to read the paper. It's so annoying. I want to pay one fee. I don't care what it is. I'll pay 500 bucks a month. Seriously. I want to pay one fee to get access to all of the online news articles. I want to read it. I'm so done remembering passwords. Oh, yeah, the, what's your password here? Oh, oh, no, you can't use that. This one requires capital letters and lowercase letters. Okay, let me use this password that I use for everything. Let me use that for this website too. No, oh, you can't use that for that website. That one requires alphanumeric numbers and special symbols. Throw some pound signs in there. Okay, now i got to remember this password and that password. Let me go on to another website, try to read an article here. Oh, no, 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 you need five different other types of symbols from that. Oh, sorry, we've already shown that this email address is already registered to this website. Too bad if you can't remember what email address, uh, what password you used for this email address. It's crazy. Society is requiring us to remember too many passwords. And... I'm just done. I'm done. <sighs> so I threw away the Daily News yesterday thinking I didn't need it because I made notes of what articles that I wanted to read. And I figured, okay, I'm, pay- I'm paying for the Daily News. Well, more I like a 12-year-old boy, actually. My mother is paying for the Daily News. Uh, and I have access to the Daily News. I should be able to read it. And, of course, I was not able to read it even though I'm logged in. It says I'm logged in. So thankfully, Molly came to our rescue and, um, you know, unlike the person uh, who called requesting help with the guardianship who is still waiting for help from Molly and that guy that's still stuck on I-95 from that snowstorm who's still awaiting Molly's help. She did help me. And she printed out this article from the New York Daily News from Sunday. This is an op-ed by Bradley Tusk. Now, I, I know Bradley Tusk. I've uh, known him for 20 years. He's mostly a political operative. He's a skilled political operative. He ran uh, Mike Bloomberg's campaign uh, for mayor, his third term. I think he ran Andrew Yang's campaign. He's done a lot of different things. He used to be the deputy governor of Illinois. And this is what he wrote. In Sunday's New York Daily News. Headline, New York City ought to be the state capital. And this is what Brad goes on to write. Shelley Silver's death last week. See, I'm not going to link to this. You know why? I'm not going to link to this because I don't want to reward the Daily News with the clicks. Okay, all right. You want to read it, don't you? Okay, I'm going to link to it. I'm going to link to this right now on my Facebook page so you can read it and uh, and comment on it as you see fit. I'm linking to it at Facebook.com MoranoFan. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O-Fan. Okay. Shelley Silver's death last week signaled the end of a storied and tarnished career, but it's not the end of an era. Corruption has been endemic to Albany for a very long time. He's right about that. And as long as our state capital remains a place where legislators, lobbyists and bureaucrats can operate effectively in the shadows, that level of corruption will continue. It's time. It's time. To move our state government into the sunshine. It's time to move the state capital to New York City. Let's start with a recent history review. Every governor since George Pataki has left office in shame. Elliot Spitzer had to resign over a prostitution scandal. David Patterson was so battered by investigations and missteps that running for re-election wasn't even an option. Let me just interject here on my f- behalf of my friend David Patterson. David Patterson's whole gubernatorial career was hobbled Because of Andrew Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo was leaking damaging information in the press and trying to foment uh, all these investigations to undermine David Patterson's electoral credibility. And the, the person that David Patterson chose to appoint to the U.S. Senate, Kirsten Gillibrand, was not much help either. But that's neither here nor there. But anyway, he writes, we all know what Andrew Cuomo did, and it's not any better in the legislature. Even, those for, uh, even for those who operated heavily in the city, Albany's culture loomed large. Other than Andrea Stewart-Cousins today, no Senate majority leader in this century has avoided scandal. While Joe Bruno was acquitted, Dean Skelos, Malcolm Smith, Pedro Espada, and John Sampson all went to jail. John Flanagan did better but still had challenges. On the assembly side, aside from Carl Hasty today, who's been clean thus far, silver is all we have as a guide to recent history, and he was as corrupt as they come. There's nothing unique about politicians in Albany. They're like elected officials everywhere else. They look out for their own, and some of them cross the line into outright abuse. The difference between our state government and others is simply location. Albany is a company town. The state is the only employer that matters. It's the dominant culture. There's not a ton of media presence, but there is a ton of money floating around. What else do you expect to happen? And then he goes and writes that that's not the case in all state capitals. In state capitals where there are actually uh, – there's, there's people um, and there's attention being paid by the media – You don't see this level of corruption, he's claiming. Now, I think Brad brings up a, a great point here. So essentially what Brad Tusk is saying is New York City is the capital of the world. New York City is the largest media market in the world. New York City gets a lot of attention. All the reporters are based here, a lot of the TV stations, radio stations, and so forth. People, if something happens in New York, people know about it in New York City. Whereas that's not the case in Albany. He's saying if we move the state capitol to New York City, there would be more eyes on the crooks or would-be crooks in the state legislature. And maybe you wouldn't see these politicians trying to bend and break the rules so much if if they knew that there was a media watchdog. What do you think about that? Do you think it's a good idea – to move the state capital to New York City from Albany? Yes, no, or maybe. eight hundred eight four eight 848 Four open lines if you want to jump on board. I'll be honest. Brad correctly diagnoses the problem. I'm not sure that I agree with the prescription. For starters, state politics in New York is already so weighted towards downstate because New York City has the most clout in the Democratic primaries statewide. And that's where, and you know, be, being a blue state, that means we essentially, New York City, gets to choose who all of the statewide elected officials are. Additionally, because New York City has more population than the rest of the state, that means we have more representation. So my fear is that what this would serve to do is take an area of the state, meaning upstate and western New York, That's already neglected. And my fear is that it would neglect them even more. Now, if you listen to my denunciation from Friday, I denounced the Assembly Democrats for not doing what they pledged to do six years ago and have the video of their meetings up in real time. They haven't done that. So I'm of the belief that we need more people covering Albany. We need more media outlets focusing on Albany. We need more radio shows, television shows, uh, newspapers, all about what's happening in the state capitol. We shouldn't treat the state capitol as if it's some sort of an alien, um, you know, some sort of an alien planet. We should, even though the state legislators often act like aliens. We need to keep better eyes on what's happening in Albany. I'm all for that. I agree with that. But I'm wondering if there's a way to do that without moving the state capital to New York City. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let's hear a bit of wisdom from Steve from Manhattan. Hello, Steve.
14: Well, they got to clone Fred Dicker if they want to get the information. Frank, when it comes... To topics. You are an intellectual genius. I want them to use that as a promo. Now, the thing with uh, with the, uh, the politics of New York State, first of all, Patterson got hammered really by Obama because Patterson did not make Caroline Kennedy the senator. When the seat was vacant, he put Gilderbrand, the, the worst brand ever, as the state senator. Well, and, and, took well, a lot of press.
2: You're not wrong, and you know who else wanted that job? Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo wanted that job.
14: Right. But I see Cuomo more as a governor where he could really bully people around. I know, but
2: he wanted to be appointed to the Senate.
14: Right, because he wanted it, cause he, he he wasn't winning the governorship, and he wanted to get a big position, a high profile, so he could catapult into the White House. But boy, did he run into uh, opposition there. The thing is with the uh, state government, I might even joke around, folks. They should just move the state government or move the state prison next to the state government. That's what they should really do in New York State. That's how uh, really how bad some of these politicians are. In you don't even know who half of them are. You know, you hear this nursing home scandal that's going on. You didn't know this, folks, but a lot of them own nursing homes, too, because it's a a win deal. The people on Medicaid get totally paid in nursing homes. It's a big winning deal if you get into that business. And you were bringing up TAB before. Now, I never drank a diet soda. I, I just didn't like the taste of it, of any of them. And I will tell you, uh, Ty Cobb was one of the largest single individual stockholders of Coca-Cola. He got in when the company first came out. It's one of the things that made him into a multimillionaire. That's true. And uh, folks aren't you glad I call in. But the thing is about Cobb and these things, there's another sports station, and I use the call letters, and I call them myth busters. And I'll, I'll call in and bust the myth. They Like they say, Cobb is a bad guy. Uh, what's his name? Hit a home run at the Yankee Stadium, even though he never talked about it. I would bust all these myths. Todd really wasn't a bad guy, folks, just to let you know. And also, the New York State Parole Board, Frank, releases killers all the time. They re- People don't realize that they uh, cop killers get released. Steve, Steve I are... feel
2: like you're getting a little off topic here.
14: Well, what do you want to talk about? Tab, or you want to talk about state politics? That is state politics, the parole board.
2: Well, I, yeah, I know, but you're, you're off the subject of whether or not the state capitol should be moved to New York City. Uh, Molly informs me that she has an illegal browser extension to get around paywalls that she's offering to teach me if you feel like being a fugitive. Well, this is a a crossroads for me, folks. This is a banner day for me. Do I go down the path of being corrupted by Molly, of utilizing illegal browser extensions to read news and information so that I can talk to you about it? Or do I continue to be frustrated (laughs) In my inability to read anything, although I guess if i'm sending articles to Molly and asking her to print them, the function is exactly the same i'm still benefiting from her criminality but um but I, I do feel like I've sent you articles before molly and and you've told me you can't access them because of uh you know I, a paywall so
14: something. I want to point out that certain news outlets are keen to the fact that this browser extension exists so you have to find a new browser extension every like four or five six months because they break or not break but they're illegal
2: yeah well fair enough now my friend sarah uh who's a big listener to this show and and trying eagerly to hang out with me tonight uh we'll see how uh, how that goes with my screaming two-month-old she sends me an article from bloomberg that says, uh, it's, it's an article by Mimi Kirk. It's about five years old. Why building new capital cities might not be such a bad idea after all. Now, unfortunately, I can't tell you anything that's in this article because I have now exceeded my monthly limit of free content on Bloomberg.com. Unbelievable. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. You know, it's funny. The one um, uh, one website that I would pay for, and I, I pay for a bunch, but one website that I would pay for is Jerry Capisi's Gangland News, but I wasn't paying for it because Curtis had a subscription. And Curtis was kind enough to give me his password and let me log in so that I can read it. And um, I guess, you know, it's not great for Jerry Capisi in that he's getting one subscription instead of two. But then Curtis decided he no longer had time to read that website, and he ended his subscription. So now I no longer get to, you know, read that, article, read that website. And then I was all set to start subscribing again to it. But I invited Jerry Capici on my Racket Report podcast last week, and he said he was not available. Now, I've known Jerry for 18 years. He should make himself available. And so I got ticked off. I said, I'm not subscribing to his website. So if you have a subscription to Gangland News and you want to give me your password, whatever, I mean, Jerry will be none the wiser. Email me, Frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Let me say hello to Bill in Queens. Hello, Bill.
13: Yeah, I think uh, up to solve the problem other than yes or no is uh,
11: upstate should be its own state. Long Island should be its own state. Let the city be its own state.
2: Smaller is more manageable. Well, you know what? That is an interesting proposal. And there's a lot of people both on the left and on the right that are supportive of that idea. And the idea of making New York City its own state is not a new one. Uh, And that has been around for a long time. Back during the Civil War, Bill, you probably you may know this, but during the Civil War, New York City had very good relations with the Confederacy and very good relations with the Confederate States of America. In fact, the villain in that movie, Lincoln, uh, Fernando Wood, I think is the, his name, he actually went on to become mayor of New York City. And you saw how, how partial he was to the Confederacy. New York City actually considered um, breaking away from the rest of New York State just so they can continue to either be part of the Confederacy or, at the very least, have better relations with the Confederacy than the rest of the Union. So they actually built— what was, or started building, what was going to be a state capitol for the new state of New York City. And that became the Tweed Courthouse. The Tweed Courthouse, which is now the headquarters of the Department of Education, named for Boss Tweed, one of the most corrupt politicians New York ever had, at least until Shelley Silver and John Sampson and Malcolm Smith. Uh, that Tweed Courthouse was originally going to be the capitol building for the uh, city of New York. Now, as far as your other suggestion of dividing New York, uh, upstate be its own state and Long Island be its own state, there is a lot of momentum from a lot of people in western New York to do just that, and and there's a big call for that. I don't see it happening. Uh, That has not happened in New York since, um, I think, the 1770s, when Vermont, which was part of New York broke off and seceded from New York State and became its own state. These days, you not only need permission from the state government, you need permission from Congress. So I'm not sure that that's likely. I think if we're going to go to the effort, uh, it certainly would require a lot more effort than simply moving the state capital to New York City. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Robert is here in New York City. Robert, do you want this to be the state capital?
13: No. I'm in favor of a compromise. Oh. Uh, you've got Albany, uh, the upper part where the Mohawk hits the Hudson. You've got New York down here by the ocean. I think Kingston, about halfway in the Hudson Valley, should become the state capital again. You're a historian. Yeah, Kingston, Kingston was, was the first capital fact, of New York State. First capital. But
2: does that, solve, does that solve the kind of problem that Brad Tusk is talking about here, where nobody pays attention to the state legislature because it's not in New York City and because no one pays attention? Uh, all of these double-dealing politicians, one, think they can get away with more, and two, they get inculcated into this Albany culture of, of this swamp in Albany.
13: Well, I think you're absolutely right. Albany is a swamp. You realize that's where Kristen, Kristen Gillibrand grew up. Her father, I think, was a lawyer, a lobbyist or something like that. So sure, she was steeped in the, in the pollution. Right, that's
2: the culture. Of Albany. That's the culture up there, Robert.
13: That is absolutely the culture. But so would your um,
2: solution. Of I like moving... the
13: idea. Now, I like the idea of three states. I don't think it's that difficult. Uh we already have people talking about making what uh, Puerto Rico a state or something like that. I have a lot of Puerto Rican friends, but I don't think it deserves to be a state. So I think the idea of upstate New York City, New York City exactly doesn't have the best reputation, you know, either for, for clean politics, but that's another story and Long Island. And in the process uh, is the possibility that you might gain two Republican states. Which well, I, I again, is that, a bad idea.
2: I, I'm not sure that that's I think. Because that's a possibility, that's why it's so unlikely to happen. Uh, I don't see the Democrats, just as, you know, I don't see the Republicans going along with making Washington, D.C. a state uh, because they don't want two Democratic senators. I don't see the Democrats going along with the creation of two Republican states to create four new potentially Republican senators. I don't see that happening. Uh, But, you know, I want to deal with the Brad Tusk proposal here. What do you think of what Brad is saying? Is it time to make New York City the capital of New York State? 800-848-WABC. You can comment on other issues if you want as well. 800-848-WABC. Evelyn is in Bayonne. Hello, Evelyn. Good morning, Frank. Congratulations on your ratings. Thank
15: I'm not you. surprised. Very <laughs> I'm Thank very, you. very happy for you. Um, just one thing, going back to the tab thing, I know you're past it, but be very, very careful because several years ago, and if you do an internet search now, all of these vending, the sodas that you get, say, in a fast food restaurant, how they come out of that plastic thing, it's just like a soda fountain. It doesn't come in a can. Frank?
2: Yeah, the the soda pound.
15: Oh, okay. Right. You'll get uh, like a Diet Coke and a Big Mac or something. They're supposed to clean those machines every single night. Well, they don't. And I'm not going to sicken your listeners by um, telling them what has been found in those machines that have not been cleaned at night. So I myself will not drink anything out of those machines. (laughs) And Trish said that Ted, one of those sodas from those machines tastes like
2: tab. So I just want to warn you about those machines. And, um, well, thank you. It Evelyn. Sickening. Thank you. I appreciate that. See, Evelyn was like waiting for me to interrupt her. You know, I mean, I was listening to what she was saying and, you know, she kept, she thought I cut her off because I wasn't constantly interrupting her. I, maybe that wait, says wait, a lot wait, wait, wait. about my reputation uh, for not letting other people talk. But anyway, um, I don't really drink much soda. Uh, I did have a can of tab yesterday uh, to raise a glass. And, again, I want to thank the lucky listener. I don't know if she wants her name mentioned. But I want to thank that uh, very kind, generous listener that gave me these two tab glasses, which she's had since the 1970s. But I did have a can of tab yesterday. I shared it with my friend Vinny um, to toast the efforts of the Save Tab Soda Committee. Soda is not good for you, whether it's regular soda or diet soda. It's bad for you. You sh- I think you should try to avoid it whenever you can. It's filled with chemicals. It's filled with preservatives. It's filled with sugar. I mean, there are certain varieties of sh- soda that are better than others. If you can do away with soda, I mean, if you can do without soda, just if you could do without booze, it's probably for the best. But every once in a blue moon, if you want to have you- give yourself a treat, you know, I mean, uh, once a year, once every six months, I don't I don't I think you should be able to have the kind of soda you want. 800 848 WABC that's 800 848 9222 Henry is in Manhattan. Hello Henry.
12: Uh hi Frank. Uh well I think the the fellow who suggested a a compromise was right in a way. There should be a compromise but a different one. And that is to have uh two state capitals and have uh, uh, legislatures be uh, uh, six months in one and six months in the other?
2: Oh, that's interesting. Would the two the two state capitals be New York and Albany?
12: Well, I think as a practical matter, yes, uh, maybe Albany no the answer is yes uh, because uh, uh, well uh, i I don't know if Albany is representative of upstate uh, as much as maybe being at one of the college campuses. Uh, I mean, the state university campuses or near it would be. But uh, you also have to consider, well, what's going to be done with all the uh, infrastructure and the buildings uh, uh, that support the state capital that, And
2: That's true. The, the one thing I wonder about, Henry, and, and thanks for your call is the practicality of that. Like, you have a lot of workers that work in the state capital that have moved to the capital region because that's where they work. So if they have to do six months here, six months there, I do wonder what that would do. And the other thing is, look, the the upstate economy is already in the tank, even in the capital region. Do we really want to deal with this body blow economically to the capital region by pulling the major, major attraction of Albany, which is the state capital. You go to Albany, look, Albany has the colleges. There's a lot of great colleges up there. Uh, They have the state capital and they, you know, they have some prisons in that area. So that's the whole economy, prisons, state legislature, colleges. And if you're going to take away a third of that, I don't know. It seems a little unfair to them. I'm all for greater scrutiny of what the state legislature is doing and what goes on within the halls of the state legislature. But I don't think moving the Capitol to New York City is the answer, personally. 800-848-WABC. You are welcome to disagree. I like Albany. You know, Ed Koch made the anti-Albany joke that a lot of people have parroted over the years. But... Uh, I, I find a lot of the criticism of Albany to be based in elitist snobbery, and uh, you know, Albany to me is the land of William Kennedy. Um, these anti-Albany snobs, and including many in the state legislature, they love to bash it. I like it. Um, I like Albany a lot. I really do. I I used to. I used to when I was in the leadership of the State Independence Party. I used to have to go up to Albany all the time, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I had a lot of friends that uh, that went to college up there. I would stay with them. I would uh, check out a lot of the great restaurants and bars over there. I thought it was a, a fine, fine community. I did like it. Let me say hello to Stu in Brooklyn. Hello, Stu.
9: Morning, Frank. Morning. Frank, all you have to do is take a look at the United Nations to realize that moving the uh, legislature the city is going to result in less corruption. You got more temptation here. You have all the party consulates, uh, probably uh, more variety of hookers, et cetera, et cetera, you got more temptations down here, not to mention the fact that you got a media that's totally in the tank for the one-party state we've now become. You know, they might as well move, uh,
4: you know, take Paris would be more interesting.
2: Well, I mean, that's not going to happen. You know, state legislators are not going to commute all the way to Paris just to have their state legislative meetings. I mean, I don't think Stu was making a serious suggestion. It was more hyperbole, but still. Dave is in Dumont. Hello, Dave.
4: Hey, Frank. What's going on? How was your weekend?
2: I was fine. Thank you.
4: Good. I want to make a point. Doctors. Doctors. More people die from doctor mistakes than people die in car accidents. 250 people die a year from doctor mistakes. Medical malpractice. Okay. And a lot of people don't realize it's the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States.
2: Yeah, it's a great point, Dave. I've uh, I've covered that with Ralph Nader, um, and including... You know, I don't know if that falls into the same category, but hospital-acquired infections is one of the leading killers in this country. I've covered that not only with Ralph Nader, but with Betsy McCoy, who has a terrific organization called RID, uh, the Committee to Reduce Infection Deaths. And uh, she's done some great work on that front. Joseph is in the Hudson Valley. Hello, Joseph.
5: Yeah, um, the Kingston idea for the Capitol is interesting, but I think I should stay in Albany for the capital. Um, I don't think that uh, New York State is ever going to separate into any different no, states because I don't think so. uh, we, like, you know, like I'm in Hudson Valley. I'm, I live in Saganese, and the Shoka Reservoir is right there. There's no way New York City is going to let that go into another state's hand. And also, like, you know, like, On the other hand, there's a lot of people in western New York that want to do fracking and everything and get, like, you know, like some of the energy going like Pennsylvania does and and stuff like that. So I don't think there's any way New York City or Albany is going to let that happen.
2: Well, and there's no way that Congress would, Joseph. So I think it's unlikely. Um, I think Brad Tusk deserves credit for bringing up an interesting proposal here. Which in this case is moving the capital to New York City, I think it's impractical, and I think there are, I, I think it's unwise, and I, I give them credit for bringing up. It's great food for thought. I think there are better ways to make sure there's greater scrutiny of our elected officials. Hey, you want to win a thousand dollars? Be the seventh caller to one 9222 and we will give you an opportunity to answer ten trivia questions in sixty seconds. It's 1-800-848-WABC. Ten trivia questions in 60 seconds. We have had two winners recently. Will you be the third? Be the seventh caller now to 800 848 This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: WABC.
11: If you're going to give me good kisses like that. Honey, don't you know I'm gonna give them right back
2: cause that's a kissin' good way Ah, that's a kissin' good way <laughs> That's a kissin' good way Mess around and fall in love Yeah A rockin' good way Brooke Benton and Dinah Washington, a classic song, if ever
1: there was one.
2: All right, let's give somebody an opportunity to win some money, because it's time for.
1: The Other Side of Midnight presents. It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Fred.
2: Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's say hello to Ray in Mineola. Hello, Ray.
12: Hello. How are you?
2: I am uh, going to be doing just fine as long as you have the wherewithal to answer ten trivia questions in sixty seconds. You ready to go?
5: I'm ready. I'm tired.
2: You're tired. What? Well, you got to wake up, Ray. I need you at your. I need you at 100 here. Get, some, right. Smack yourself in the face a little bit. I don't want you to blame fatigue if you don't get the questions right. <laughs>
4: All right. All right, I'm ready.
2: All right, All right. ready. Okay, um, what do you call someone who visits outer space? Astronaut. What fast food restaurant is known for having golden arches? McDonald's. What Texas billionaire ran for president twice in the 1990s? Ross Perot. What color are Smurfs?
1: Blue. Which white. pop
2: artist said that in the future everyone would be famous for 15 seconds? 15 Andy minutes, Warhol. 15 minutes. Uh, what Andy Wa- Warhol. Right, correct. What WABC radio personality interviewed Mayor Eric Adams last week?
5: Curtis Leeway. Mm-hmm.
2: Unfortunately not, Ray. It was uh, our boss, John Um And uh, it was a good guess, though. He was up to question six. Um now, we're going to give Ray a, um, a a consolation prize of a WABC cap. Would you grab his information, please, Ray? And I want to reiterate, uh, grab Ray's information. It, I want to reiterate, if you have been promised a, a cap or something and you have not received it, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I will get this taken care of today. I will work with Jake the Snake Roberts to get you your WABC swag. But if you don't email me and I don't hear from you, then how am I supposed to know there's a problem? Don't go running to Curtis or anybody else claiming that uh, I, I have treated you unfairly. Here's your opportunity today. Email me today. Otherwise, we may have to suspend these. If people's hats are not going out, You know, we may have to suspend prizes for a while, consolation prizes. Hey, if you want to buy something, if you want to buy your own cap or a mug or a um, water bottle, whatever the case may be, go to WABCRadioStore.com. My mom just bought two the other side of Midnight with Frank Morano shirts on there. They have some really great stuff, including these new truck stop logo drinkware that was designed uh, in part by Molly. And uh, if you want to give a look, listen to that you can, uh, or give a look at that, go to WABCRadioStore.com. You can type in The Other Side of Midnight, type in Frank Morano, whatever the case may be. There's a ton of great merchandise on there, and we want to encourage everybody to buy some. Um, by the way, I got an email from Curtis the other day, uh, this weekend. I, you know, Curtis is obsessed with me, let's be honest. He's not obsessed with me enough to invite me to give me a proper invite to his office closing party today. Wow. which is featuring beer and wine, two things that I enjoy. Uh, I mean, you'd think if I were in Curtis's position, you know, I would call up me and the half dozen or so other people that were early supporters and early participants in his campaign and say, you know what, Frank, it would mean a lot to me if you'd come to my uh, office closing party today. But no, instead I'm, I'm, left, I'm, I'm on this, uh, this email here. But anyway, Curtis emails me. Over the weekend and says something to the effect of you have to. This this is what he says. Uh, Let me let me pull up this email here. And he meant it to be like to look out for me. One woman. uh, okay. this person said one woman called and said the only way she got her hat was to complain to the FCC. If you're going to go to the trouble of complaining to the FCC, let me say just complain to me. I'll get you your cap. Really? She also said, you suggested on there, that people put you in their will. That's an Art Rush Jr. no-no. Don't even jokingly say, say, say that. Um, let me be very clear. I'm not joking. If you want to put me in your will, I think that would be very nice. I think that would be very nice. They, they did that. A lot of people did that with NPR. Isn't this program more valuable to you than NPR? Let's be honest. Let me say hello to uh, Gordon. In Canada. Hello, Gordon.
12: Hi, Frank. Uh, I think it's a terrible idea to move the capital from Albany to New York. Well, but
2: what do you know? Idea, You're not even, or even American. worse
12: idea to move it to Rome.
2: What Rome, New York, or Rome, Italy?
12: Rome, New York. You could have uh, like build coliseums and have people running around in togas and speaking bad Shakespearean English.
4: Could
2: be a lot of fun, don't you think? I actually like that idea a lot. What about if we have them speak Latin? That would be even better. That's very funny. Oh, yes. All right. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-WABC. One person writes, Frank, moving New York State government to New York City would give media the chance to watchdog them slash it. What? Did media watchdog de Blasio ever? No. Well, first of all, that's not true. The media was very tough on de Blasio uh, in New York City. And part of the reason that the U.S. attorney, Preet Bharara, launched his whole investigation of Bill de Blasio was because of the media attention that was paid to his shady campaign practices. Remember, you know, he basically arranged for a bundler of his to be able to buy a building that was once used as uh you know a, a nursing home essentially it wasn't a nursing home but it was uh an outpatient facility and he basically rigged the process so that a bundler of his could purchase that building and make a substantial amount of money his shady campaign fund- fundraising practices for the state senate the only reason that got any investigation was because of the role of the New York City Press Corps. Now, you might think the New York City Press Corps is liberal. I would agree with you. They are. But they also like going after politicians' scalps uh, across the political spectrum. So it's not – I know everybody likes to view the world in the pro-wrestling world of good guys and bad guys. The truth is when it comes to reporters who want to make careers, the truth is a lot more uh, nuanced. Than that, Uh, Rudy Giuliani will tell you that uh, when he was U.S. attorney and he was exposing corruption in New York City, a lot of corrupt uh, politicians and stuff and so forth in the, for instance, in like the city, the uh, third term of the Ed Koch administration, the city for scale, uh, the city for sale issue written about by Jack Newfield and Wayne Barrett and others. He had a, a lot of friends in the press corps. They loved those stories. They would lap up those stories. That Giuliani would tee up for them when he was U.S. attorney. Even some of those same journalists who became adversarial with him when he was then the New York City mayor. Because they like to go after people, the press corps. And we're not seeing that up in Albany. And it, Brad Tusk believes it's because nobody's watching. I think there's a way to get people to watch. Even and still keep the capital up there. Maybe I'm naive. Wouldn't be the first point, time I've been called naive. Uh, all right we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a little while. I will say I am uh, looking for your help on one thing. So my wife and I have a fireplace and we also have an outdoor backyard fire pit when it's a little warmer than it's been. And so we would go through wood quickly for our fireplace and fire pit. We always we would have a fire going. We had a fire going yesterday. And we would go through this wood quickly, so my wife, whenever she would be out at the grocery store or whichever we, she would pass by, Home Depot, she would go and pick up some wood. And in addition to the expense, and it could be a little expensive, um, it was very cumbersome to always be lugging wood back and forth between the store and our house. So my father and stepmother, they have a fireplace also. They said, hey, well, I think I forget the pricing, but it's not important for this, this story. It was a good price. They said for 400 bucks, I think it was, we will send you, I mean, not we, but whoever they buy wood from, they'll deliver right to your house all this wood. Uh, I don't remember how they termed it, one bushel or one truckload, whatever. And so we said, all right, we'll, we'll try it. So we ended up buying all this wood. And it's been great and in that it's convenient. It's at our house and we keep it in the front porch. We keep it on the back porch and it's there and it's great. We don't have to go to the store and find any of this wood. We don't have to go find trees and chop any of this wood. But my wife noticed something this weekend, which is that when we've been burning this wood, the wood burns black. The, sm- the smoke, I mean the wood itself burns normal, but the smoke that comes from this wood, burns black, and it's a little too smoky. And I thought initially that it was because the wood was outside for a while and it was wet, and maybe it's burning off the moisture that was in the wood. But this is also the case with wood that's been indoors in our house for several weeks. So my wife said, well, you know, I'm no longer, I'm no longer buying, we're never going to buy wood from this place again. So then my sister-in-law intervenes with a uh, FaceTime call while my wife is worked up about this. And she said what she got was a a chord. Thank you, Joe Borelli. A chord of wood. That's what we purchased. So my sister-in-law intervenes on this, um, this question. And she said she has a moisture reader. And when they deliver her wood, they'll measure it. She measures it with this moisture reader. And if there's too much moisture in the wood, she'll deny delivery. She'll refuse delivery. So I'm curious if anybody else has had this problem um, in that uh, they are not able, they see this uh, black smoke billowing from this wood. And is it because the wood is unseasoned? Is it because there's too much moisture? And are these problems mitigated with a moisture reader? Speaking of Joe Borelli, I thought uh, that caller from Mineola was doing a Joe Borelli to me when he called. See, he called and he started talking like this. He said, I'm very tired. And I thought he was winding me up and then we were going to go easy on him and be very generous with the clock and things like that. and Ask easy questions. And then he was going to, you know, beat us for another thousand dollars. Because that's almost what Joe Borelli did to me yesterday. He comes over and he says, well, I think today is finally going to be the day. And my wife gets excited because she's tired of having a husband that gets perpetually beaten in ping pong by um, by, you know, a marginally out of shape minority leader of the New York City Council. And she said, what is today the day that Frank is finally going to win in ping pong? And Joe then describes this massive exercise regimen. He's describing uh, riding on the peloton. He's describing uh, uh, free weights, and he describes basically the exercise regimen of uh, of Lou Ferrigno. And he says, "Well, my arms are really tired. I can barely lift them up. I think you're going to beat me today." So now I'm all over confident, overzealous. Sure enough, we played three games. He won all three, and the last two games, I, he just trounced me. It was embarrassing. So that was, that was my Sunday morning. Uh, Molly had threatened to send her boyfriend over to play ping pong. A lot of people are speculating that she just wanted him out of the house. But I was eager to play with him because I'm still looking for people that I can beat. And uh, so far, we're not finding very many of them. So that's that. 800-848-WABC. Jay is in New Jersey. Hello, Jay.
0: Hey, Frank, uh, about the wood, uh, definitely. uh, So I've never bought it, but I have a backyard with a lot of trees. And when I cut the trees down, uh, you have to give it about 18 months to fully dry all the way through. It can sit out in the rain. It's not a matter of uh, it getting wet in the rain or anything. But what happens is if it doesn't dry uh, properly, then you will get a lot of smoke. So uh, moisture reader is a good idea. Um, you know, and that's, that's really what it is.
2: So do you use a, a moisture reader?
0: Yeah. So I have one. And, uh, my experience has been when I cut a fresh tree, it takes about 18 months for it to get fully dry.
2: Interesting. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in one of these moisture readers. I, I think Paul is in Dutchess County. Hello, Paul.
14: Hey, Frank. Love your show. Uh, I was
4: on with the, uh, screener, but it's a cord, not a chore. But anyway,
2: Oh, thank
6: I, you. I, I, I apologize.
4: I, I Now, I cut my own wood every season and split it, and within a couple of months, I'm burning it. But I burn small pieces. I get a good fire going. I get good amber going. You got to stoke the fire to get the heat and keep it going. But sometimes smaller is better, plus you need a good draft to keep, that, to keep that breeze going through the chimney, and you'll be all set.
2: Well, that's great, Paul. If you ever have a surplus of firewood that you've cut, send some <laughs> over to me, man
4: will do Frank man love the show take care
2: thank you Paul it's nice of you 800-848-WABC Sean is on Staten Island hello
8: Sean
1: Uh, good morning sir Um, yeah I don't really I'm going on the capital thing Um, it doesn't really matter where it is because uh, you know people work from home so the capital could be uh, on Swinburne Island or Hoffman in in Lower Harbor Um, it's It's just more antics and BS, if you ask me, just a
13: distraction.
2: All right. Well, now that we've asked Sean, we know know his position. Hey, I'll tell you what's not BS, and that is the fact that inflation is here. Inflation is real. Inflation is rampant. And inflation is causing the value of your dollar to diminish and diminish quickly. Look at last year, for instance. Inflation rose by almost 7% in just one month. That means in 30 days, your dollar became 93 cents. This year, the stock market has been plummeting and your portfolio is in a lot of trouble. Inflation is a silent killer. It's like high blood pressure. It's a hidden tax felt by everybody. And we are not seeing any signs that it's going to slow down. So what can you do about it? Gold, silver, precious metals. Be be proactive before you regret it. Take steps now to protect yourself call legacy precious metals they can advise you on all of your options whether that's rolling your existing retirement account into a gold ira or whether that's holding physical metals directly into you, in your home you could speak to an ira expert at legacy precious metals 866-932-0635 write this number down please that's 866-932-0635 or you can download their free investor's guide at legacypminvestments.com. That's legacypminvestments.com.
1: WABC Start Your Morning with Frank Morano on 77 WABC.
2: audience. This is the only radio audience in which everybody listening, everybody, is smarter than the host of the program. I can't even tell you the text messages that I'm getting right now. Um, One person texts me, a cord is the measurement for wood. Uh, My mother text messages me, I told you the wood made too much smoke. Go to Duraflame. Wow. everybody's got a everybody's got a, 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 a an explanation about why I'm wrong about something. Everybody.
11: Hey, still not. Thank you, Curtis.
2: You know, fortunately, I just walked by I was trying to um urinate during the last break and I was walking by and uh unfortunately the bathroom was not open, it was being used. But um Curtis is still here. Why is Curtis still here? His show was over 4 hours ago. Why doesn't he want to go home? I don't understand it. I mean, I I know, you know, he's got a lot of cats there. Maybe he doesn't want to clean the litter box or something. But when this show is over, I am running out of here. I I, I don't understand it. He's hanging around there. He's set up camp in that studio. There's stacks and stacks of all sorts of papers and stuff. Um, He's spread out, like, all over the place. And um, spread out like the ISIS caliphate in the pre-Trump era. And uh, I I don't understand. Now he's asleep in there. But uh, now I don't blame him for being asleep because, you know, he's had a long weekend. He's been on the air 22 hours or whatever. But why wouldn't you want to go home and sleep in your bed? He's in the studio loudly listening to the radio with stacks of papers and newspapers and junk all over the place. So he's, like the big dog. He's taken up a studio, which should be earmarked for somebody's production use, and he's just in the way. I, I think it's maybe for attention. Might be what it is. Um, all right. It is time for...
1: The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Jim on
0: Long Island. Hey, how you doing? All right. Could, uh, avoid the smoke. Go with Cole and Sid's a moron.
2: Roger in Massachusetts. Yeah, I still think that Leticia James pursuing Donald Trump rather than the governorship is at the behest
5: of someone in Washington who wants to make sure Trump is never able to run i about off lay
2: death. off the schnapps. 800-848-9222. Ralph in New Jersey.
11: Yeah, uh, you mentioned about Tab's uh, soda. Just as we, the time you mentioned it, uh, as I was listening to you on The Lady, and I was watching a movie at the same time. It's in a Hollywood production, War Game. Remember that movie, uh, Frankie? It is
5: uh, Cold War Era film
2: Yes, uh, Matthew Broderick. They do mention Tab in that. Muhammad is in Manhattan. We oui, the Janine, Janine machine. machine. I heard you on with Janine yesterday. I'm sure that was a big thrill for you. Fred and Yonkers. Hey, just
5: in case you want to add me to your guest list, I got a lot of interesting anecdotes. The other day, I walked into a bar
2: and I found out I was allergic to oak. Oh, Russell on Long Island.
14: Russell should be an after-dinner speaker. Break New York into three pieces, sure. And we'll have six Looney Tune hard-left maniacs in the U.S. Senate.
2: Neil on Staten Island. After
5: 10 years of radio friendship, I've taken your advice and put you in my will. You've been decimated upon my demise to pay off all my debt.
2: Thank you. Honored. Frankie in Glendale.
5: Congratulations on the great ratings, Frankie. You, WABC,
11: and uh, Mr. Casamitidis. And my friend Anthony, who's listening, there's a tractor trailer with aluminum outside.
2: Thank you. Hopefully there's no chords of wood or cords of wood. Frank in Queens. Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Pete in the Bronx. Sizzle Moron, um, Sizzle Moron. Gary on Staten Island. And Stan in Astoria. When the state capital moves to New York City, we have the perfect location, Rikers Island. Hey, there you go. Uh, there you go. Hey, uh, that slams the lid on things for today. The um, WABC Early News with Deb Valentine is next. Bernie and Steve coming up at 6 a.m. Rob Astorino and Rich Lowry both on the program. I'll be back at 1 a.m. with another action-packed show. Frank Moreno, good day.